things that came to my head. Um, one day, we're all going to blow up and die. <laughs> Hello, my name's Noah Pagan. We are recording. Good for you. Thanks. <laughs> we're all going to blow up somewhere. <laughs> we're all going to die up there. We're all going to die up there, you know. <laughs> uh, oh, we're going to go to heaven and then die. <laughs> and be like, you did it. Psych, whatever. Hello. Welcome to the M and N show. Where M stands for Mahatma Gandhi. And N stands for never 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 was a Nazi. Mahatma Gandhi never was a Nazi. That much is true. <laughs> And joining us today is our very special guest and Noah's gal pal, Destiny Vashon hyphen Taylor. <laughs> he just put you on blast. <laughs> Sorry, Destiny Taylor. <laughs> Vashon's a great middle name. I, she just doesn't like people to hear it. <laughs> Vashon Visions, right? Vashon, Vashon Visions. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Well, <laughs> you never did anything. <laughs> I can't let you forget about Slime Every Mountain. <laughs> Sorry. Destiny, say hello to the people watching. Hello, I am Destiny, uh, the D. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the D stands for dinosaur, not what any of you thought you were thinking at the moment. Yeah, it's for dinosaur. I thought right. it was Monatrix, but okay. 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 Now the clarifier. Okay, that's the intro. I'm. Uh, you have more. Continue. I just sit weirdly. Um. Yes, this is a part I, that of sound podcast. will haunt me forever. So what we're what are we talking about? Let's have you present it. What are we talking about today, Mitch? Uh, well, this is the start of our segment, Friends Favorites, where we bring on a friend, that's Destiny, and talk about one of their favorite albums. And Destiny's a resident Broadway fan. We're both thespians. We've both, we've both been to Thescon, or Thespian Conference. So we both know our way around the theater world. And Destiny came to Noah and said, hey, you should tell Mitchell this. And then Noah said, hey, Mitchell, this is what Destiny said let's talk about an underrated musical. And I'm like, whoa, which one does that be? And it is called uh, Natasha, comma, Pierre, comma, and the Great Comet of 1812. Wait for it, wait for it. No more commas. Yes. And Noah also told me, fuck Dear Evan Hansen, this is where it's at. Oh, absolutely. I actually did say that. He did. <laughs> he implied it. I didn't say it exactly like that, but that's what I did. It's what he means. He truly means that wholeheartedly. And uh, yeah, listening to this over again really cemented my feelings on that. It's really good. Great, 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 great musical. Almost as great as the comet. Almost as great as the comet itself. The comet's the best. Well, you know, of course, musicals have stories and. Destiny, I want to tell the story of this musical. 
Musicals have stories. So why don't you yes, tell them the story of the musical? Oh, okay. So basically this show was um was basically an off-Broadway production before it moved to Broadway um in 2017. And um it was an absolutely amazing show. It's one of the best shows that I have listened to. It, um, the original cast featured the person who wrote the show himself, Dave Malloy, who played Pierre, and uh, Natasha. Natasha was Philippa Sue, who is from Hamilton, if you remember her, who's uh, Eliza. And it, the musical, the premise of it is basically written from an excerpt of the book, War and Peace. Um, with the book being so long, we obviously can't fit everything into the story itself. So he took uh, uh, tiny stories that made up each character and uh, copy pasted them into a great musical. And that's Natasha here in The Great Comet of 1812. And of course, um, for anyone who doesn't know, this musical is about two hours long. So in order to go in depth on each song, at least, in, even in a general sense, we're going to split up this video. So, side one, disc one will be part one, and then when this is over, if you even have the energy, you can skip over to part two, which will probably be <laughs> uploaded either the same day or the next day. Uh, yeah, shout out to Dave Malloy, who did everything, which I very much admire. Yeah, and also the interesting thing about this musical just doesn't really, um, I've never really read, I've never read um, War and Peace. But it doesn't really sound like a, even though she said it was like a copy and paste sort of situation where it's like, oh yeah, I took this story and then wrote a musical around it. It doesn't really feel, doesn't really, it feels new. Yeah. That makes sense. I, of course, have not read War and Peace. My really only encounter with it was the character War and Peace, the villain from 2005 Sky High. <laughs> You know, I didn't even know about that until you until you mentioned that. By the way, the best movie ever. Yeah, the fire guy. His name's Warren Peace. This is dad's a villain. His mom's a, either regular person or a hero. Also, one of my favorite YouTubers does a video essay on that, where where he basically Sky talks high. about how secret Sky High is like fascist propaganda. Secretly, it's it's actually really interesting. I would definitely check that out. Um, it will change your perspective on Sky High. <laughs> One of my favorite films, so I probably, maybe I won't, but maybe I won't. Probably won't, but we appreciate it. <laughs> it's, it's good, though. <laughs> Thank you for your input, Noah. I'll skip <laughs> over that completely. Okay. Okay, so, let's talk about something that's not fascist propaganda. Great Comet. Yes. Great Comet, shorthand. So, yes, disc one. Um, start with prologue, of course. So, Destiny, why don't you kick us off since uh, your suggestion. Thoughts on prologue? So, if you were to basically summarize the entire show within a song, that would be the first song of the show. It's prologue. Yeah. And if you continue listening to it, each introduction of every character, it's basically exactly as it's as they are introduced um you start off with a, a big door closing and it symbolizes someone leaving and it's natasha's um 
betrothed um, fiance Andre, who is going off to fight in the war. And she's basically left to grow up and um, revolve around other people that is not supposedly the love of her life that she's been with for a year. And each character, as we go on, you know, we kind of figure out, like, exactly within um, one word what they are and and what they enjoy doing with their time. Um, Like, with... Um, we have Maria, who is basically the motherly figure of Natasha and Sonia, who they visit um, after Andre leaves to go fight. And um, we also have Sonia, who's a very good person. We have Helene, who is um, very sexually ambiguous, who enjoys... Yes, <laughs> she is a slut. She and is I'm not being a... rude. That is how she's described. How so. she's introduced. That's exactly how she's <laughs> We have Anatole, who is hot. Um, some people may disagree. I think he looks like an eye eye personally, but I think Lucas Steele is a great what? person, though. I'm no shade. He looks like I a... think Luke, the person who plays, uh, looks like an eye eye. An eye eye? Yeah, an I.I. What is that? It's a lemur species. Oh. <laughs> well, right. if you look at an I.I., it's, it's, they're, okay, they're cute, but they're also, like, terrifying, so. And when it comes to Anatole and how he loves to in, uh, engorge himself with women and wine, you will see that basically that's exactly what he does throughout the entire show. We have Principal Konsky, who is very much a cold-hearted person. He's uh, borderline crazy with his daughter, um, Mary, and as well as um, Principal Konsky, who is Andre. And um, we also and he have- he isn't there. Yes, and we also have characters that are just basically there to move the plot along, and that's basically Balaga who um, we see later in act two, but um, each character plays basically, like each character, unless you are Pierre or like one of the principal characters, Natasha, Pierre, Anatole, whatnot, they play secondary characters. Principal Konsky is played by Andre, um, the same actor because same family. And it's it symbolizes a lot in the future, so. Um, yeah, so if we were to go and, like, completely, if you wanted to learn everything about that show, you would listen to the first song, and basically you would be good, but then you wouldn't get to know the amazingness that is the show, so don't don't skip anything else. Just continue listening to it. <laughs> it's worth it. Um, I think it's funny how the, how the prologue just, like, starts off, even though the, the musical is, like, so serious, it's, like, starts off so... Uh, so like, there's stuff going on outside my room. Um, yeah. Anyway, I was about to say, <laughs> I, I think it's funny how they start off like, um, they start off in such a light note. I don't know. It's like for something that's so serious and stressful yeah. as as great comment is <laughs> yeah, we start off we start off with the first words being said in the show is like there's a war going on at this very moment and andre's not here so 
what do we do? We just focus on the other characters. And it becomes so chaotic. And that's what I find interesting because each character symbolizes something that's like so like out there and bold, you know, excluding characters like Mary, but also, you know, like they, they provide the entertainment that you are really looking for. And it really shows with the beat kicking in and with it being so upbeat and like happy. Um, of course, that doesn't stay happy for long and it moves into more of a um, a distressing, like a distressful type of situation. But for now, it's happy. It's a happy time. I think it's funny how Dave Malloy writes the musical. Like he doesn't like, he didn't think about, oh, well, how am I going to ease people into the story? How am I going to like uh, say backstory without making it feel like I'm saying backstory on people? He's just like, no, nah, I'm just going to talk about the backstory. <laughs> it's like okay here's the backstory here's what you need to know okay let's go in the musical um go in the story <laughs> that's like that's literally what happens um but it works i think it really it also kind of shows uh shows you uh kind of like how different the musical is just by the first song really so i mean in terms of how it's introduced and also like characters wise what did you what were your first reactions whenever you first heard it by the way what were your first reactions when you first heard it, by the way? I was just saying that. Oh, I'm sorry. Zoom is shitty. It's okay. But in terms of sc- character scope, how it's introduced, I find a lot of parallels between this and, of course, Hamilton, which, of course, Sue was also in. But, I mean, this song felt like they just did Alexander Hamilton for every character in the play. And also, it's funny how the song makes a point of, like, you need to research and follow up on each character to know exactly what's going on. Of course, it's derived from War and Peace. But, I mean, I, I looked up the bare necessities of the plot, researched it a little, but, I mean, as Destiny said, like, you're pretty much good. Like, I was able to follow the story after the full song on my own. I didn't need to worry too much about research and... I mean, of course, War and Peace deals with uh, Napoleon's uh, invasion into Russia and just French Revolution stuff, but it's not really about the war. That's just a background character and stuff. So I like it. It's really interesting because um, with with the information that you are given. One second. Just keep talking. With the information given, I feel it's in the middle of the day. It's hard as why I do these at night. With the information given, I feel like, like you said, you can, <laughs> you can follow along without having to open up the book itself and read the entirety of War and Peace. Of course, if you wanted to, you could, because at the end of the show, things aren't really resolved, but they're moving towards the resolution that we've all been looking for. Um, so if you were wanting to continue and see what happens to each character, you can. Um, but for now, it's all we need within this two-hour musical. And that's what I find great. Like, you can listen to it and just understand what's going on. Truly. Great outcome. And, uh, you know, from prologue, we move on to uh, Pierre which uh, I've talked to Noah about. Pierre is, of course, one of the main characters, given his name's in the title. But played by Josh Groban in the version we listen to. 
was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, Noah felt the same way as me, but I mean, I felt very, it felt like I was watching myself in a lot of ways or like the not so uh, valuable parts of myself. Just um, constantly saying I used to be better, which is, you know, I guess how I felt post high school in terms of searching for myself and everyone being lost and that transition period between a childhood and adulthood. Um, a lot of people have described me as kind and warm hearted, but also a sad boy or a sad person, which, you know, I take in stride because, you know, I wear everything on my sleeve and a uh, j- joke with Noah. Uh, he is charming yet has no sex. <laughs> this guy. And also just his struggle of um, wanting to do more or be more than he is but right. surrounding this war going on. So his I, character, huh? I was just saying, I, Pierre's probably my favorite just because, well, character-wise, it's a great song, but just I heavily, can heavily relate. And that's something that's so beautiful about the show again. And I will continue to say that's what's so beautiful about it because there are so many things that make up such a beautiful show. And no matter who you are, whenever you're listening to the show, I find that you can relate to someone, whether it's Andre and you will find out why later on within the show, or you feel like Pierre and you feel like you're just trapped and you're like, what am I doing with my life? Basically every time Pierre sings, he is having an existential crisis. And I feel like we've all been there. But you can also feel like Natasha. We've all been gullible at one point. We've all, we've all been young and we make rash decisions. And, and that's what's so good about the show because at some point you can see yourself within one of the characters. It doesn't matter who. I mean, if you're like Anatole or Helene, like, don't talk to me. But, um, <laughs> but like, if you are relating to these characters, it means that, like, you understand that there is something going on. And as you continue to listen to it, you you can feel more hopeful towards the end. And that's what I love about the show is that I can never not listen to the show and feel like a completely different person. You know what I mean? Like whenever I'm feeling down, I will listen to the show and it's just completely something so strange and wild to me. And I will just immediately just feel so much better and that's a show that like is is so important it's so important to the world and it's just like you know it's it starts with the song and the song is is incredible i think it was like uh, like um oh what were you gonna say i was just say i think it's easy at least for me looking at like historical figures or stories like from i mean like 200 years ago at this point and you know i think it's easy it, like, it doesn't seem real that things 200, 300 years ago were a thing or happened just because, I mean, I was born in 1998. That's far, far off from anything that happened here. But like, So it's hard to relate to characters who are so far not forgotten, just living in the past. But, I mean, people in 18, you can relate to people in 1812 of all times. It kind of relates to the human experience as a whole, just everyone goes through it. Everyone has to deal with the struggles of being human. So it's, it's, it's cool to raise someone who's like 200 years older than me. 
Dave Malloy, Dave Malloy took, because he, because he did read, you know, the, the War and Peace, he read it, and, and when you look back in 1812, and you see the characters that are, um, that he took inspiration from, obviously, these are fictional characters, um, in a way, like, their story is, is, is quite, you know, it's, it's fictional, and, you back then you can't really connect to someone that's like oh i'm incredibly rich i'm a bureaucrat i'm very much like someone me aristocrat aristocrat yeah if you will my poor choice of words but um if you if you like look back then you can you can't really relate to these characters but dave malloy saw something within these characters and he was like i can see how i can turn this into a story where people can relate heavily to each character and feel like this is actually what happened this is an actual story and what noah and i were talking about last night was the fact that um, it feels so real and as you are watching these characters progress throughout the story you're just like you see yourself making decisions like they're making and you're just like don't do that it's like watching a scary movie and you're like oh don't go in there don't go in there you know what's gonna happen if you do and then the person gets killed and you're like you know i knew it was gonna happen and it just seems like something so real and no matter which character you root for like you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's it's uh the thing that's cool like like what you said it's like if the thing that's cool about this, uh, a lot of the songs and people that everything feels like it's like you just said happened. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily because of Tolstoy and like how he wrote. I'm sure that's probably part of it, but it's, I think it's just also the way. Um, the I think also like in terms of the musical, I think um, I think Dave Malloy does a great job in terms of writing for the musical. Um, something that I noticed, um, when I listened to Pierre, um, is that, um, I feel like his character is kind of, like, represented, like, I feel like different characters in this musical are represented by different instruments, and I feel like the string section are, like, is really connected to Pierre and all of his songs. Um, also the piano, but I, I, specifically in this part, I, I wasn't there both. Was there both piano and string section in in this? Oh, absolutely. There, there. Wasn't it? When it comes to this song versus like the other songs that the characters sing, like you can hear like, there's an orchestration as well as um, the harmonies in the background that they provide something like so eerie. Like um, during the "I Used to Be Better" part, like it's just like his mind. At the beginning of the show, you can tell that his mind is that he's very much a depressed person that's like, he's very introverted, does not enjoy going out because he just feels like he's not going to have a good time no matter what. And, and he thinks of the days where he was like, I was really good close friends with Andre before he went to the war. And I used to be a, a better person. And now I feel like I feel trapped and I don't know where to go from here. And everyone's related to that at least like once in their life yeah you know what i mean so um with the eeriness in the background like it definitely provides like the mood of the character itself and you and as it goes along and as he develops as a character it changes um but for now he's a very sad boy 
and having sad boy hours. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that was the official sum summary of like the song. <laughs> Pierre is a sad boy having sad boy hours. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, from sad boy. Do you have anything else to add? Um, nothing really, but I think it's, I think the, um, I'm reading the lyrics, uh, he is charming and he has no, he has no sex. <laughs> um, the, I think it's funny, um, or it's interesting, um, how Pierre kind of like switches back and forth in his mentality. I think he's very like proud of his intellect, like in the song and like his reading, but then also he's taking he kind of he thinks that well all my reading and everything I've done like to you know better myself intellectually didn't really mean anything because I didn't do anything is what he's essentially saying in this song um and he's like his, he's, he speaks of his friend uh Andre who's off dying and who's off fighting a war um possibly dying and he, what is he doing? He's just sitting, He's sitting drinking, in uh, reading in his study. Yeah. And he feels like he's not doing anything. He doesn't feel like he's, like he's a great man. Um, yeah. And I think that's, I, I think that really is, uh, re resonates with me as well, because like, I, 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 uh, I like take a lot of pride in like trying to better myself intellectually and everything like that. And, but then sometimes I just feel like it just doesn't really amount to anything because I'm not really doing, doing anything with it. Or it's, I think it also resonates probably with a lot of people who, who are in college, yeah. uh, uh, you know. We so, just feel like we're not getting anywhere. And, uh, and that's why Pierre is such a, a, a beautiful character. I find this character to be like one of the best characters in the show. Of course, like, I mean, he wouldn't have been a title, like a principal role, had he not been so great of character. And with the lyrics, like, um, he's charming, but he has no sex. Basically, he inherited a lot of money. <laughs> he inherited a lot of money, and he became very wealthy. He's, so he's very much a wealthy individual, um, an intellectual person. Um, he is married to a beautiful countess he's married to helene who would rather be with anyone but pierre and and, and that's just like in, in the story as well she actually did um at once have feelings for him but just grew cold and and he himself is very cold towards her and with that in mind like everyone everyone's opinion of pierre like if you were to like it, like the way they the way they suggest it is like if you were to go somewhere um, and they know Pierre. They were like, oh, I mean, he's really, he's really charming. Um, but he's just not like, he doesn't, he lacks sex appeal. And he lacks like, they basically enjoy his company for the money and not so much his in intellect. You know what I mean? Which is why he's so cold and which is why he's so, um, so shut off and he like has this wall and he's just like burying in his like sorrows because he feels like no one else understands him and no one will truly love him the way that he wants to be it's a great song and it will of course with musicals there are callbacks so 
we will come back to this, but from Pierre, or Sad Boy, as anyone would like to call it, we on to the third track, uh, Moscow, where Natasha yeah. and Sonia, her cousin, um, arrive in Moscow with their godmother, Maria. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought at first, I, I read it wrong. Like, I, I thought I read Maria was, like, strict or a bitch. And I was wrong. I had to go back and check. But, you know, I think her personality is really interesting because she, um, as a great parent would do, really balances um, being strict with being loving. Right. So yeah, she, she has her explosive moments, but also she's obviously very caring towards Natasha or Natalia and Sonia or whatever her other name is. And, yeah. Other moments will indicate this, but Sonia is dope as hell and a great cousin. I knew you would like her as a character. And that's, that's really all I have to say about this song. So, I mean, I'll throw it to you, but like, it's, it's, a, it's as well a transition song as it is its own song. It is a song that basically moves the plot along, but you can also get a good deal of information from this song, um, Natalia, or Natasha, and Sonia, they both arrive in Moscow, and they meet Maria. This is when she is officially introduced as her character, and she is very much an old-fashioned soul. Again, she is strict yet kind. She is very much someone that plays it by the books. Um, and she wants nothing more than to protect Sonia and Natasha while they are staying with her. And of course, um, that doesn't really happen. (laughs) She tries to, but it doesn't exactly go the way that she would hope that it would. And she basically says, she talks about how fond she is of Natasha and how much she loves her and how she's basically the the favorite of the two. and again, yes, it is a very much uh, like a like it's not a filler song, but it does move the plot, um, move the plot along, yeah. and it moves toward um, Natasha and Sonia talking about how um, Natasha misses Andre and doesn't know really what to do to like pass the time because she's basically wanting Andre to come back and just take her away and to just marry her. Um, But of course, you know, he's off fighting in the war. So with him being gone, um, she, she tries to um, pass her time by spending time with uh, Sonia as well as Maria and going to town and um, going to different events, meeting different people. And that's where she meets some people that are maybe not so good for her. And, and Maria really tries to prevent and try to tell her who she should and shouldn't talk to. But of course, Natasha is young and she's very much a kind person. So she will talk to anyone and she builds connections with people and then she ends up getting hurt. But we don't know really all what will like entail into the story until Maria says um, basically meet Andre's family get to know them well uh, make sure they like you and then everything will be just fine no um I think 
I think uh, this part is really good for uh, establishing the character of both Sonia and uh, Maria. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's cool how they like how they add in like um, how like from excerpts of like of literature they like have the adjectives. He leaves the adjectives that they describe the character in there with. I, I think that's cool. Like uh, whenever Mario sings, uh, welcome, welcome to Moscow. One of the parts, uh, she, uh, uh, it just says uh, scruffy and cozy, like an old dressing gown, mm -hmm. which is <laughs> it's a great summary of Maria. Um, she can, she's kind of scrappy, scruffy <laughs> in person, but like also she's really like cozy Warm and loving. And loving. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so Sonia, um, or Sonia, unless it's Sonia, um, Sonia is really, like, sort of soft in, in, in her, like, role in the song, and that's kind of how, how she is in the, in the musical. Um, but, um, I think, um, I think that this is, uh, there's not a whole lot to say, to, to be honest, in terms of instrumentation and everything, but I think it's, uh, I think it's a really good song to set up set up characters. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably its main role. I would say, but it's really it's really good. It's a good song to come back to when you're in Act Two and you're just and you're comparing how things were back then and how they are now. Remember how safe you were in Act One, and then and then Act Two just all falls apart. Okay, the beginning of Act One, and then <laughs> the end of Act One is <laughs> you. You little... Why did you laugh at that? Because I was mocking you. <laughs> I <saw> right. that. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah. Need to come back and <laughs> and uh, think about how like how safe you were in this part. Remember when you had the guidance of a lovely yet yeah, strict godmother? Now look what you did. Yeah. And from uh, Moscow, uh, the story moves to um, Andre's father and sister in the private and intimate life of the house. So, Noah, why don't you start us on this one? I love, I think this is a great song. I think this is an underrated song in the musical. Yeah. Okay, I, I guess I, I'm not very connected to like people, other people who have listened to this musical. I just don't think people talk about it enough when I look at the comments and everything. I feel that. I you know agree. what I'm saying? Um, I think it's a really great uh, song that like, even though the characters are that themselves minor, um, does a really great job of like fleshing out who they are. And also like, um, think it's it's cool how like um isn't it, okay i can't remember if it was in the song is this the song that uses the thing with with uh, where maria is basically slowly descending as she like sings yes okay that is really cool i think melodic like there's a there's a part in this song where it's i think it's near the beginning where she's it's like the, the private intimate life um does this happen near the beginning it, it does I'm, I'm looking up the lyrics because i want to be sure um but there's a part in there where maria 
um, is like talking about um, basically setting up the song itself. As well as the man who, the man who everyone is waiting to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Volkonsky, um, the, the, um, the, the father to Andre. Um, um, and Mary. We tend to forget that she's, that she's a character as um, she is plain. <laughs> but there's a part there where she's, yeah, okay, it's not exactly the be beginning. The beginning starts out Volkonsky. <laughs> In like his really, 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 really uncomfortable way of like wallowing singing. in self pity. By the way, the person who played Bokonski also played Andre, like she said in the beginning. And wow, he sounds so different in both parts. He says really well, like trying to portray an old person voice. Um, it's really, really good. Um, <laughs> he he starts out with the I've aged. I've aged so very much. I fall asleep at the table. My napkin drops to the floor. <laughs> and that's another example of like the, the talking about the, the actions going on or like the adjectives of like a specific situation as if it was like literature. And I think that's really interesting that they use that. Um, but um, he, it's really uncomfortable when you listen to it because it's like, he goes, I've aged, I've aged so very much. <laughs> It's not like how it goes melodically, but like that's that's how he says it. Um, it does a really great job on that. But there's a part, yeah, here it is. Right after that, um, after um, Volkonsky sings, where both there are two characters. Yes, there are two characters named Mary, basically in this play. But like Mary, um, Princess Mary. Princess Mary. Um, and if I mix the two names up, I'm sorry. They're both, there's Maria and Mary. I'll keep them straight. Um, Mary, like, really is, like, I think they really do a good job of capturing, like, how uncomfortable the situation is and how, like, daunting it is for her. This, the task of, like, basically being the, the keeper of her aging father. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever Mary, like, first first sings in it, because... It's just like a slow descent, um, don't going down a scale of uncomfortable notes. Well, I mean, like I'm talking talking about like like the technically she's singing a scale. Yes, she's like, uh, and it is really really grating to hear because you're just wanting it to like resolve. You're yes. wanting that to that that music that that part to melodically resolve, but it just won't resolve until like until you're you're really uncomfortable and it's just like finally it resolves and it's not only that it's the, it's the fact that I, I love that you mentioned that because it's the fact that it sets up the fact that the situation itself is incredibly just it, it just makes you like it's unsettling it makes you just like like just sit weirdly in your seat you're just like oh my gosh and and with that being said it kind of shows the differences between the two characters. Whenever you think of Andre and Prince Bolkonski, they are very much alike in some ways. Um, but Mary, she is very plain. And she, I think she, though she is plain, she's very much the black sheep of the family. She, um, she basically is the maid to her sick father. And when 
they're not having company, which is um, the couple of hours that they do have people over, she, um, it's like things are okay. Things are totally fine whenever there's company over or so we like to believe. And then as soon as the company leaves, she's back to, yes, father, I will do whatever I can to make sure that you're okay. And with um, that being said, she knows in her mind, she really wants to do her own thing, be out and do the things that she wants to do. But instead she's inside taking care of her father. And there's a point in the song where she says, I could hurt him. Like I could both of them hurt, say it. both of them say it. Like he's like, I could hurt you. But they both come from a different place, I think, when they say it. Oh, definitely. He does not like her. And he's like, I could absolutely abuse you. And she's like, I could kill him. I could kill him and get away with it. And she's like, but I wouldn't do that. I would never do that. Um, I love him. And I think it's her in her mind trying to tell herself that I cannot do this. I cannot do this and I won't do it because I love him. Um I think also partly that uh, he says I, I could hurt you just because he wants to convince himself that he can like that he that he's still strong enough to like do something like physically yeah. because he's so like feeble as a person and so he's just trying to convince himself oh yeah I could I could definitely hurt you yeah this man is crazy this man is very much um he is cold he is very much he lacks empathy he is he the thing about him is that he 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 is so he holds himself so high up and he believes himself to be extremely regal which of course he does have the title of old prince volkonsky but also um but um the way that he treats people and the way that he um treats women as well as um his company and how he believes them to be basically his playthings. It's it, it it adds more to his character, and he is very much this crazy old man who, at the end of the day, like he can't do anything on his own. He freaks out at the fact that he can't find his glasses, and he basically passes out on the table, and the glasses were on top of his head the entire time. And Mary yeah. is sitting there. Mary basically is just sitting right across from him. And she's just like, oh, my God. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. This man is crazy. Yeah, this I is can't also, leave him. This is also the part where, where, where um, Prince Volkonsky, yeah, or not, uh, yeah, I guess well, Prince Volkonsky, Volkonsky meets Natasha. I forgot about that. Um, I think it's so funny, by the way, but, like, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Natasha's just like, I know they'll like me. Everyone is always like me. And that's what I love about her character, but we'll continue that like as we go along. Her character is very much a naive person and she's like, I know they're gonna like me. Everyone likes me. I'm young and I'm just like very sweet to people and I just know that I will have a good time. She does not know what she's getting into. <laughs> and it's not the fact that she's so naive or so young and how she acts in general it's the fact that the situation at hand and the people that she will be meeting are both unhappy in their life and so they will try to take it out on her within the next song yeah. <laughs> in terms of my thoughts on the privat and intimate life of the house first of all shout out to noah for those killer pipes <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, elaborating what you guys said, um, I mean, I noticed the uh, parallel between how both of them said, I can hurt you, but I think the fact that uh, Mary said, I never ever would, and he didn't, kind of emphasizes how uh, cold and cruel man he is, because I think he, also to prove his strength, also it seems like he does or will eventually hurt her, just because he has nothing left, I guess. He also like spends half a song talking about sleeping with a French prostitute because he has no one left. And also I think Volkonsky and uh, Pierre are kind of similar just because of where they are in their life. And, you know, aspects of Volkonsky, I live in the past. I've aged so very much. I also relate to just because I tend to live in the past as well after, I mean, my, the prime of my life hasn't necessarily happened. I wouldn't say, but you know, in those moments of existentialism or depression, it feels like I've passed my prime, so I can relate to that, but. You're not quite to the point where you're wearing your old fashioned coat. And yes. Powdered wig. Powdered wig. Yes, but also um, Pierre isn't necessarily bitter, he's just lost, and you know, his character isn't really corrupted by those feelings, at least people still view him very highly, even yes. though he wasn't always treated very well. And Volkonsky is just a bitter, cold, sad, awful man. But also, um, when he shouts, <laughs> where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? That's probably the most quotable line of the entire musical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so oh, what a hilarious. Because he just swells into like this mess. It's, I don't know. It built up quite well. <laughs> the orchestrations behind the strings, like everything slowly just like clashing. And you're just like, this man is batshit out of his mind. And that's what I love. It's like, just like the way Dave Malloy, well, first of all, like when you think about it, he wrote the orchestration, he wrote the book, he wrote everything. Yeah. Not the, the book, but like the libretto. He wrote and, War and Peace. Yeah, he wrote War and Peace. Tolstoy can kick Shout my out to Dave. My <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Tolstoy's got, got nothing on it in Malloy. Say that right now. He's rolling in his grave. Yeah, he hates me. Um, but he he was the one that wrote the orchestrations for yeah. the show, and you—he's just like he's a genius because I have never heard of like an orchestration in a way to portray that this man is slowly losing it. Like he's more and more losing it. And and as he's like continuously screaming, where are my glasses? It, it's so uncomfortable. It's so like, it's just distinguishedly gross. <laughs> and, and then he just passes out and it stops. And that's, I, I just love it. I love it so much. It's a little bit of karma, I feel like. Too. Oh yeah. Because he's just like he, he 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 was being creepy towards like women and stuff like that before that, and he was like being like a creepy old man, <laughs> and then like really terrible, and then all of a sudden he loses his glasses and he's just like <laughs> my glasses, <laughs> and he just like freaks out, <laughs> and yeah. it kind of makes you it makes you like you understand why why Mary like. Mary feels the way she does where she's like oh man I shouldn't be thinking like at the end she's basically like uh she basically feels guilt for like thinking the things that she did um because she did like talks about like you know he's old and feeble and she disgusts herself for for for, for judging him 
but um but also I would really would I would I wouldn't fault her for for being for judging him because he's quite a terrible person. I don't think you can chalk it all up to him being old. <laughs> but unfortunately unfortunately there are people that feel like they are in the same situation as Princess Mary, where they are basically trapped in a situation where they cannot get out. She feels like she has to stay and help him because who else is gonna help him? Andre is is gone and she's the only person that is willing to stick around and and be around him because physically like he is horrible he's a horrible person and mary knows this mary knows that he is incredibly manipulative but at the end of the day he's so feeble and he can't do anything and for her to say i i want to hurt him or i want to leave and i i i can't imagine anyone else being treated this way and, and judging him for it. She's like, I can't do that because I, I just can't. And then she, she talks about how much she disgusts herself. And, and if you, and if you watch the show, um, you will see that she is a very, she's a heavily religious person. She carries around, um, um, a cross, a rose, um, a rosary and, yeah, so if you're listening to it, that's the reason why, by the way, he says um, the whole thing about you and your icons and incense. I mean, she's, he's re- referencing the, 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 the rosary and her religious icons. Right. So, anyway, sorry. Um, and, and for that to... And the thing about Mary, though, is that she's in three songs i believe she's in three songs within the entire show if she's not being um an opera singer in the duel or like or any other song where she's providing um operatic vocals but what, who, what's the actress's name gelsey bell gelsey bell yeah. she is incredibly talented. talented and she mary as a character of course you know as we all know that she's very much a boring character a plain character but it's only because that's all we always see and that's all we know the information given is that she's trapped in a manipulative relationship a very emotionally abusive and maybe even physical um abusive relationship between her father and she can't get out and so whenever she meets someone or like meets natasha she is so very closed off and she instantly and, and that's and that's a situation where you can where you can agree that she's somewhat like her father because she will immediately go, you know what, I don't like you. Right off the bat, I I do not like you. And and that's only because she's unhappy with her situation. And later on in the story, you can tell that she does not agree with what she was thinking before. I don't think she ever agreed with what she said about anyone in the show. I feel like she wants to be taken away by these people and I feel like she's like I I need you in my life please do not leave me alone with him and that's all we get from that character I love her as a character though I love I love Princess Mary and it's so unfortunate that that's all we see but I think that Malloy is a genius for only giving us that little bit there's a lot of subtext I think in this in this song that's the reason why I think it's really underrated I mean there's also the I didn't even mention the part where she's like she sings that, she says, when she sings, I love you, Father, it sounds, she sings it kind of, like, the way she emotes um, in that part, it sounds like she's, like, trying to convince herself that she loves her yeah. dad, 
She's like, I love you, Father, and it just doesn't sound really... I love you, Father. <laughs> it just doesn't sound very natural. It doesn't sound like she naturally loves him. I mean, you can tell by the way she, by the way she, like, she says, um, he's like, bring me my slippers, and she's like, yes, Father, yes, Father. She's like, basically, like, whatever, you know, she's very much, a, like, whatever towards her having to basically be a slave to him. So. And uh, as Noah mentioned about uh, Natasha coming into fold, uh, the song moves to, uh, no, the, sorry, the musical moves to the next song, Natasha, <laughs> Natasha and Volkonsky's, which, you know, is Natasha coming to meet Andre's family to convince them to like her. And um, again, not much to say on this one for me, but, you know, it's evident in this by the end and following songs that um, I think there is definitely a sense of naivete to Natasha of how she thinks everyone's going to like her just because everyone so far has liked her. But I think it's a, all, a lot of that also seems like a, a big shroud for like how insecure she really is. Like one person she loves and trusts isn't even with her and could um, die in the war and stuff. So it's, I mean, I feel, I don't know, it just feels like she's always shrouding herself in just this blind optimism. She just, I don't know, you can, you can tell there's something underneath. Like, it's not just, I'm young. I'm so cool. Like, she's not so stupid. <laughs> like, she shatters completely when they are very cold to her. Like, yes. So it's, it's very obvious. Also, like, the protective optimism and also just the love. It feels like a lot of the feelings she has because she's so young can be very easily broken as evidence in later songs involving uh, Mr. Anatole. But more on that later. That's my take. That's my hot take. <laughs> I love this part that, oh, hello. <laughs> so <laughs> dissecting this, I, I love this song because um, the fact that um, the person, uh, the servant introduces Natasha to the family and of course it's so funny because when you are in a, a serious like long-term relationship the person is is going to feel uncomfortable meeting the family if you have not met that family yet yeah. of course it's always like this is a weird situation I don't know what I'm going to talk about hopefully they like me and Natasha right off the bat she's very much confident that she can just come in and if Andre likes her and everyone else likes her, then why won't they like her? So she, so Mary greets Natasha with a very much um, shrunken type of greeting like, oh, um, hi, come in. Hmm. And then Natasha's immediately like, hey, what's up? And she's very, <sighs> just extroverted, very loud. And they, in the way that it's set up, I'm going to talk about how the staging is for this show. The staging, uh, where people go is pretty much anywhere. And it's, it's crazy because each show is different. The stage is set up and there's audience members sitting on the stage. There are audience members sitting outside and watching it from afar. And there are people sitting within this circle. And Natasha and Mary have this, they have their meeting and their introductions in front of the audience within the circle. 
So it's a small circle of people and they're all sitting there. So it's really nice to watch their faces as they shrink into like, this is really, really unsettling. This is really uncomfortable to watch as they uh, interact with each other. And so they sit and they're very much just like, oh, hello. Uh, I, uh, I don't like you. And Natasha's like, oh, I don't like you either. And then there's a specifically gross chord that's like a dissonant chord that's so clashy and gross Mm-mm. that just makes you feel about the part where they sing constrained, constrained and, and strained. strained and it's like you're just pulling at something you're twisting it and you're just like trying to rip it apart and you and like as you listen to it as well as if you watch it it's uncomfortable it physically makes you feel like just like you want to turn it off and that's what shows their relationship is obviously that it's really awkward for them to be meeting each other, especially when they immediately right off the bat say, I don't like you. Yeah, it wasn't even a really like a harmony. It was like a, it's a they're clashing. Um, it's like, I guess it is a harmony, but like it's, um, they're like, uh, like a basically only as like, it's a minor, it's like a, uh, what's it called? You know, like a, like a minor sec, like a minor second interval, the boom, 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 boom. It's both of those that it's like that interval, like it's both of those uh, those um, notes put on top of each other, and so they clash a lot because they're so close together. But like I, music theory wise, I I can't really like it. The the interval is a minor second though, if I remember correctly. The minor second interval. The people that don't know music theory, it's like taking two magnets, and instead of connecting to- them to the actual magnet part, you just go like that and you and you and you try to make it go the opposite way and obviously it's not going to go so you're just like oh just no forcing them trying <laughs> you're to trying force to force them, them to <laughs> but yeah um it, it, it but works yeah. really well <laughs> what do you think about that part by the way mitch i want to know what your reaction was sorry i was just being a dick to you uh, <laughs> i remember about the part i thought it was cool i thought <laughs> I thought when she brought some ma- magnets to be like push them together and they're not going to go together. Yeah. <laughs> the force between those, if that's what you were referencing. But I like the what I remember of it, yeah. But continue on your spiel. Um, yeah, that part was really, I feel like really good. But like, I think this song serves mostly to, um, to um, basically give a background to like, or shed light into like how Natasha's feeling um in this new setting that she's in and how um basically um she feels really abandoned even though I know like Andre's had to go to war but like I feel like she feels like really alienated alienated in this situation and abandoned but but, I mean, obviously she's not angry at Andre, but she feels she seems to feel like abandoned, like uh, there's nobody here. And that's what's so funny is that both of them talk about how they're so different when in reality they're quite alike. Um, they're both upset in a way at Andre for leaving. And, for and leaving. Natasha. And yes, of course, Mary and Natasha are both upset because Mary, she she doesn't want to have to rely on taking care of her father for the rest of her life um, in case Andre was to die while fighting in the war. And then 
um, Natasha is wanting him to be there with her. And I know for a fact that had she gone with him to meet the family, things would have been maybe a little bit different. Um, it would have still been maybe a little bit uncomfortable, but with him being there, it would have been a little bit more of like a comforting thing to her. And she doesn't get that. This entire song, if you thought that the, the last song was uncomfortable, this one's even more uncomfortable because you have Bolkonski saying, I don't want to see her. I don't want to talk to her, you know? And she's, and then he says basically, um, I, oh, this is her. I, this isn't really who I was expecting. I don't really dress for children or peasants. And he's Grosser. he basically just like talks down to her to her face and the whole conversation is basically awkward and it's even more awkward because he's basically naked he is in his underpants and he's just standing there and he's like well you know i don't talk to children or peasants and he's just standing there he like, doesn't dress for he doesn't dress up he for doesn't her. dress for anyone <laughs> unless they're um of his of his status <laughs> and then he leaves <laughs> dick in more ways than one. Nailed it. That, that failed. Okay, never mind. But yeah, and this really leads this in the end uh, leads really well, like really smoothly to um the next song, which I forgot. I always forget the name of this song. No one else. No one else. Thank you. Which I'd like. AKA. The Disney Princess song of the Musical. entire show. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to start just because I really like this song. First of all, this is a, uh, well, the end of the song, Natasha's just really upset and longing for Andre. So this song is just singing about Andre missing him. And I mean, I think it has beautiful lyrics in general, just like, um, first time I heard your voice, moonlight burst into the room and I saw your eyes and I saw your smile and the world opened wide and the world was inside of me. Or the snow and the moonlight and your childlike eyes and your distant smile. I'll never be this happy again. Stuff like that. So it's a romantic song. And, you know, songs like this or later songs like Dust and, Dust and Ashes or uh, Sonia Alone. Or, I mean, those are songs I could see covered. Like, they're just, they work on their own. Like, they don't, they don't even need to be in the place of musical. Like, they could work just as original songs. Absolutely. Well, so I... I when I listen to these albums and do these podcasts, I read along to annotations and lyrics on Genius, which is the best lyric site on the internet. And um, there was a line in the song that was, um, "We've all we've done this all before. We were angels once. Don't you remember?" Yes. And um, I clicked on the annotation for that, and it said that uh, the basis for that line was, uh, I think, based on a passage from War and Peace which was like, um, which I wrote it down. It's like, do you know that when one goes on and on about recalling memories, one at last begins to remember what happened before one was in the world. I am certain that we were angels somewhere there and have been here. And that is why I remember. And yeah. Very beautiful passage. And just a lot to think about in that one. It's, uh, it's not immediately uh, recognize what it means. So it's a lot to think about, but also, I don't know. Even if I don't know what it means, it's very beautiful. So that the song. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying that I wanted to say that right off the bat because I'm a fan of this song. This song is the most pure, 
and you know what? I can't say that. I can't say that. I feel like this song is is very much in in terms of Natasha as a character. I feel like this is the most pure song for her. And watching the show and seeing the way that it's set up is basically she is sitting and she is looking up at the moon and she's reacting to it. She's interacting with it and she's thinking of him and she's dressed in this white fur coat and she just it's so pure it's wholesome it's it's almost childlike and she's just standing there in the snow and she's just talking about and thinking about how much she wishes that she could be with him or vice versa or just to hear him and talks about how she felt when she first met him and it's it shows how immature she is because whenever he first feel yourself or when you think that you have fallen in love with someone you immediately are just like just with it in if you call it like you could call it basically the honeymoon stage of of falling in, in love with someone or being in a relationship with someone where you're just like this person is perfect and because of this I will not be happy again I'm happy where I'm at and I'm happy with with him and for this reason I can't find myself being any happier and that's I feel like we've all felt that and of course it's subject to change as as the show goes on um but she she continues to think the same way but it shifts onto different things and I love this song and she's so hopeful in this song and how she's like, he's going to come back. I believe he's going to come back maybe tomorrow or maybe he's already here and, and things will be okay. And of course, with it being in act one, we can think like that, but you know, of course it doesn't always stay like that. Even though the song, by the way, even though the song isn't really, titled Natasha obviously this is like the most Natasha song song of all of them yeah um, and elaborating what Destiny said mentioning like how immature Natasha is um, uh, not just love falling in love I think it re- represents young love specifically because I mean for me personally I've been in two relationships at two different points in my life and young love specifically is really just all the way through a honeymoon just because you've never really had it before so there's nothing to compare it to and hopefully for a lot of people like how old is natasha supposed to be she's basically in her teens she is i believe at the time she is um 13 or 14 within the 12 to 14 age category well i mean and of course sorry Andre, of course, all the other characters are... Andre's very young, too. I mean, Andre is actually a little bit older. Yeah, but he's, like, like 18 or something. Right? He's, yeah, he is, he's definitely, like, a little bit older. And each character is within the... It, yeah, and they're, they're it all... It's creepy, it's creepy, yeah. But so, that's the, the, the different time. <laughs> well, so, wait, yeah, how, of course, yeah. Wait, how old is Pierre? Moving on. He's like 30. He's like in his 20s. He's in his 20s and 30s. Yeah. He's like this. Okay. You know what? That ruined it. But back to my point. 
No. This is a different time, Mitch. It was eight what, I, what I was going to say was that's I was sixteen when I was in my first relationship, so a little older. But like the very naive feelings of love, while they're still real, they're very different from later relationships where. I mean, you still have those feelings, but, you know, reality and life has set in. There's a different connotation to it, though. I think it perfectly represents young love specifically, just how pure and innocent it really is. And, like, it's not the realest, but it still feels just as real. But also, now that I know the whole plot, I want to throw up since she's 12. (laughs) Okay, she may be old. She's she may be thirteen or fourteen. She's she's in love with her. Skip. Also, like what's happening more evil too when you think about that too. But anyway, but you can't call Pierre an evil character. No, I'm talking about Pierre. I'm talking about Anatole. Oh, absolutely, Anatole. See, yours is very, very, very. very I'm saying because, of course, the actors are not twelve and stuff, so like it feels more okay since they're you know in the right. Not like (laughs) some twenty-one-year-old wanting to go for a twelve-year-old. The word is barely, it's it's barely mentioned. If you were to listen to- I really to, wish we could cut that with a, oh, I love little girl. Sorry. <laughs> like a zoom in a black and white, like. <laughs> Edit in a, <laughs> that part, anyway. But, but the thing about it, though, is that it, it's, I'm not trying to, like, defend it and make it okay, but when, when we are taking both the book and then taking inspiration from the book and making it into a show, there's- lines and inspirations taken from the passages within the book but it's barely mentioned that these characters are are very older than her um i think i mean well pierre married young pierre is in like he's like a middle-aged man yet he married a young a young woman and all the characters are quite kind of young but of course within uh it's not very mentioned unless they're saying well natasha is a young girl but they never specify exactly within the play or musical um how old she is so you feel like it's okay but then you move on into the way some things are said and and then you look back and if you do decide to read the book and do your research you will feel gross yeah yeah on the Wikipedia page of this production specifically, yeah. she's 19. So yes, I feel better about that than the book. Maybe if she's 12 there. Thank God she isn't 12. <laughs> That's all I care about. Okay, we can move on from that. I don't want to throw up anymore. Anyway, I was about to say uh, ah, the opera. I, I was about to say <laughs> Natasha uh, on this song. I think also really cements that um, that um, Natasha's like I feel like instrument that represents her is also piano. Yes. Uh, because like really any part she's in, um, and part where she's singing, there's there's piano, piano. every time, and it's really cool. Once you get through, I, I'm not going to get too, too ahead of myself, it. but it's really cool whenever you connect the instrumentation of Natasha and and um, Pierre later on. 
But now we get into and now the opera, yeah, which is a really a, a lot, and it makes me really stressed out every time I listen to it. By which the way. is Natasha and Sonia, maybe Maria, going to the opera to make yeah, Natasha feel okay. better because she's a little sad girl because her husband, fiance, is away. So destiny starts off. It starts with basically, it starts immediately with Maria screaming. And this is what I love about her character. Her character is so enthusiastic, but it's also, it sounds like she's, like, upset. So it's so, it's so fun. I love her character. People where you don't know if she's upset or, like, happy. Or just having fun. Or having fun. I (laughs) love her character so much, but this is immediately after no one else. So the lyrics start with, like, stop mooning and moaning. We're gonna miss the show. And so she's basically out on the porch singing into the snow, and all of a sudden, Mario's like, dude, fuck up, shut <laughs> up, let's go. <laughs> so this song is very, like Noah said, it can be very overwhelming to listen to because it. Well, first of all, this musical is is nothing like. I feel like anyone has listened to. I feel like in terms of the story, yes, one could uh, point out the similarities between this uh, this musical as well as uh, Hamilton. But in terms of the way that the orchestrations are made, there is electro, there is so many different types of, so many different genres of music within this, um, this two hour musical. And they just like this, in this song, as well as songs like um, The Abduction and um, Balaga and, and things like that, there's so much going on that it's so hard to like focus on strictly one thing um but this song gives you basically a um depending on if you've seen the show or not which i can give a pretty good insight into um one that has seen the show and and it can definitely foreshadow things this is a song that foreshadows what's about to happen because um it, it, and Natasha again starts out basically saying, I am beautiful and um, I don't look like anyone else here. Everyone's looking at me. Everyone's, you know, they're just staring at me. They all like me. Everyone's envious of me. The men just want me. And in and, and, and that we enter the life of um, Helene. Helene's introduced. And again, as as we know, from the introduction at the beginning of the prologue is that she's very much a promiscuous person or a slut. And her character, she is a slut. Helene is a slut. Again, that's the line. I'm not a a man in the street. No, no, we don't hate Helene. I feel like Helene is one of the best characters and she is a dream role of mine. She's just stunning as a character. And that's what makes her character her character. I feel like her character is so like the way she sings and the way she talks. It's growly. It's gra- It's gravelly. It's very like sultry. And yeah. Amber Gray. I have never heard anyone like. It, I feel like she is perfect for these types of roles because she. It's just she plays the role of of being like this promiscuous woman and trying to like cause mischief you know what i mean and and she she's from the show hades town as well which is um her being um a sultry woman who likes causing mischief so it's a very good role for her and it's a very good type of um 
type of character that she can play really well as well as sing. I mean, at least the uh, Persephone is like redeemable. Redeemable. Helene is redeemable. Helene is not horrible. I I hope people can take from this and not say that she's a horrible person because I love her so much. I, I feel bad for her. Wait, how is she redeemable? I feel like <laughs> exactly. No, okay, you guys stop. I promise. She's she's within the book. She was someone that was wanting to make relationships and wanting. At first, she was this woman, and I was like, I I am excited to see what happens, and she's hopeful. And then she's like, oh, and then she becomes cold hearted. And I feel like in some situations, we've all been there. Whether it's like towards a friend, whether it's towards like someone that we used to know. And we're just like, oh, I'm so excited to see where life takes us and what makes us um, the people that we are today. And then we just end up being like, oh, great. Well, again, it can be said for the book. Like, if you're walking for the, I haven't read the manga before the anime, as (laughs) as the meme I found said. But she's definitely painted in a not so fabulous light, given how she interacts with literally everybody and you know is basically cuckolding pierre or even when they're like dueling um aching him on or mocking him or just i mean he, i mean even so in the book i mean from what i've read it seems she has a better like sexual relationship with her brother than with anybody you didn't even watch the musical when you said that that's hilarious i was reading annotations and about war and peace so it's like Maybe I'm not gonna deny what you're saying or like say that's not a possibility. I'm just saying she does seem like the worst. Like I just no Helene, but like Anatole, of course he's terrible. But like Helene just has this Helene just has this negative air about her. Like I just thought this. Have you watched Parks and Rec? Yes. She's like Tammy too. She is how she movie. comes off she's so sexual and terrible <laughs> just like just drags ron to the mud and just transfixes him here is jerry here's an i'm no i'm saying just character wise she's like tammy too yeah she's her the tammy too to to pierre <laughs> i think i'm not saying pierre is ron i'm just saying that dynamic feels like Ron and Tammy, or at least just the terrible parts about Tammy. We could definitely go on and cast. Yeah, you know, Pierre is Jerry because Jerry is fucking great, and everyone treats him like shit. He becomes the mayor. He lives to a hundred. Spoilers. I I am so happy that you agree. We could go on definitely for sure and and recast uh, the great comic characters as Parks and Recreation characters. I just think it's funny how he did said the sexual thing about Anatole because that's a thing. Going into that, there are certain things that make this musical the way that it is and how stunning it is. You have background noises that is basically um um the. Ba- so basically, with with that being said, there are background noises that you can tell there's something going on, and it adds character to the show. And at one point, Helene and Anatole, which we haven't met yet, but obviously these two are related. They are brother and sister. They are the team rocket of the show. 
And basically, yeah, names and are definitely fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I honestly agree. And Meow's just watching. Thank when when you listen, when you like listen to the way Helene laughs when she says, um, basically, um, Anatole comes in and she and Helene is the person that introduces Anatole, and then, um, uh, uh, after uh, Helene says, and he took his place in the front row next to Dolokhov, which is a character that I incredibly love, but we can go back to. There's a noise where Helene just like laughs. And if you watch the show, it's where he takes her in his arms and just kisses her neck, and kisses her arm. So like, that's the laughter. That's like her being like, you know, playful with him. And anyone, to, anyone who's watching that is incredibly both confused Yikes. and uncomfortable. <laughs> They're like, oh no, this is horrible. Um, and and she and of course you know adds more of her sluttiness to her character because she'll flirt with anyone, even her brother. Her brother, <laughs> like he said, so he's correct. So moving. It's just really funny you said that because you didn't even see that happen. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that you it is the that. funniest thing. Like he just like up the neck, and everyone's like, "It, it does happen." Too. I've seen <laughs> it. I've seen it myself. Well, I was reading the annotations, so, like, I still got a glimpse of what the play and book were like. You know? okay. But moving on from Blaine. Okay, well, I was, I, actually, there's, a, there's something I was going to say about this. Okay. Um, I really think it's so cool how, like, um, you don't ever get any of the, like, I don't know if you noticed this, but, like, you don't ever get any of the electronic oh. part of the instrumentation until Anatole walks in, literally. Oh. Like, it's, it, that's how, what leads up to him. Uh, that's the what, like, were so cool, and they were very well done. Oh yes, oh, yeah, and it's just like it really it's cool because it like it, it like shows it that there's like a new force in this in this like in this story. The force is about to be unbalanced and like cold and robotic. Yes, and the way they calculated in the in the, the way that um, Natasha and Sonia speak. Eek. And, and I, this may be just me. I tend to take things and think, oh, this is so deep. And I'm sure Dave Malloy, if he like ever watches this, he'll probably be like, that's not what I meant. But like, I mean, okay. But the way they say an exceptionally handsome man walked in with a confident, yes, courteous air. And this is right before um, Anatole looks straight at Natasha. And so basically, um, no, uh, Sonia, the way she says, the way she says an exceptionally handsome man walked in, she does, she couldn't be bothered. She's just like, oh, it's an exceptionally handsome man walked in. While Natasha sounds like, oh my goodness, who is this man who decides to interrupt the opera in the middle of the first act or the second act? And he just comes in and he's making all this noise. His sword is like slapping his leg and then his spurs are like kicking everywhere. Yes, and obviously spurs. everyone's just like, dude what the hell is wrong with you? And Natasha's like, oh my gosh, who is this? And and that's what starts the whole, the whole off-putting sound that is so, like, robotic and cold. And that's what I love about introducing Anatole as a character because um, it, it gives me so much of, like, a Frozen vibe where basically Elsa is Sonya and she's like, dude, you can't, you can't love this guy. You just met him. Like, 
don't don't pay attention to him and then Anna who is very similar to Natasha have you like compare the two they're very much like no I love him we have to we have to know who he is who is this man <laughs> and then it's 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 great it's great this well, is where it gets really good what I'll say about it is like there's obviously a transition uh, of course with Anatole walking in but also just the opera progressing to the end which is very cool because you know it conveys it does as it said an avant-garde tone and just even though I didn't see the show and that's just like a big chunk of just not seeing anything it's left to the imagination it's just it's an interesting thing and then you know, Natasha describing the opera is just like so off-putting and weird and like I don't see what you see but it also kind of relates to subtext about I mean there are a lot of things that like first glance we initially hate and then right. as we become more accustomed to it just they become like just bands we don't really like bands or artists we don't like when we hear them just because we don't really haven't really heard anything like them so it's off-putting and then you just slowly become more accustomed and favorable to it which you know of course like Natasha immediately like who is this guy but it's also like kind of describes like the uh, transition between a uh, loving Andre and then quickly moving on to Anatole, I think. And then also like the, <laughs> I'm going to be a fuck boy right now. I told this to know, but like literally the end of the song is Anatole enters the box. And then <laughs> the beginning of the description of Natasha and Anatole, the next song is Anatole enters Natasha's box. <laughs> I'm not sure. I get it. But it's like, it's clear this guy wants it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But you know what's so, okay, what's something that I feel like no one knows when you're listening to the show is the fact that Sonia, when when she's describing the second act, because she's basically the only one watching, because Natasha, she's sitting with Sonia, but Natasha's looking at Anatole. She's heavily distracted. And Anatole and Helene are both just like, <laughs> yeah, it's time. It's showtime. But Sonia says in the second act, there were tombstones and the moon were over the footlights. And the moon is mentioned several times. It shows basically, it's definitely a foreshadowing moment. In the second act, there were tombstones. Um, it, it, it's, it, can, it can either symbolize character deaths within later on, even after the show, or you can say um, what. Uh, happens in the future during the duel or whatever you would say and then candles burning um a crimson throne and whatnot and she's basically describing the second act for those that are are watching but natasha obviously isn't and the character that is um getting killed within this opera is one of the minor appearances like it this is andre Andre is the person that is getting killed. And if you watch the show, like they have the red ribbons, like, I read this, that. I read that. like yeah. And they and he is dying, but Natasha's not looking. Otherwise she'd be like, This is this is creeping me out. I, I don't like this. I she, I would feel too related. She's just like taken in, I think, by a lot of the, what's going on around her. She's yeah. a well she's overwhelmed, but she's distracted. She's not overwhelmed with with what's going on in the show. She's obviously distracted by Anatole. She's like, why is this man staring at me? Why do I, why am I intrigued by this person? Why can I not stop looking at him? Why do I want to know more about him? And all of this is happening right in front of 
their eyes and she's not paying attention. And that's so funny because it, it definitely shows the, again, like what you said, going off what you said, the, um, the attention going from Anatole and I mean, from Andre and missing him so much to slowly leaning towards Anatole and wanting to know more about him and what he's into and what, you know, what he's about. And, you know, Chaos. Anything else to add? No. Rex Havoc. Um, I think it's funny. That, I, think, I also think it's interesting though because I think I think that I think that um, Natasha is like really just distracted throughout the whole thing, even before Anatole walks in. Because I think at first she's sort of distracted with the fact that like she she realizes that she can like. she realizes that she has like some sort of like power over people somewhat not exactly a power but like she's beautiful mm. and i think she's like enthralled by that but also he then the thing that happens to anatole i think it really just kind of shows like um who she is as a character in this scene as well another it just shows another like further that she's kind of childlike it shows how heavily influenced she is by each character that she meets. Um, or her surroundings or like things going on around her. Absolutely. She's very much a kind person, just like Sonia meeting uh, Maria and then going into um, Princess Mary and how she relates to her in, in, in uh, certain ways and how similar they can be. And then as well as how she can somewhat relate to Pierre um, throughout the musical and then... Um, and then there are things that are like, well, she can relate to Anatole as the show goes on because she, they're both very immature and they both make decisions that are, um, um, that are kind of detrimental to their um, futures. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it, it, I think it's one of the longest songs in the musical. So, I mean, there was like a, you know, you got to take this in, but it was a very interesting song. And um, of course, we'll talk more to Noah when he comes back. But you know, EM show. The next song is not Natasha and Anatole, which is um, them talking for the first time. And as I said, it's a fuckboy. You know, Anatole enters Natasha's box. As right. one does. But also, I mean, I mean, I'm glad we talked about like our um, miscommunication and Natasha's age. I'm glad she's not well because he'd be a predator. But um, he has seemed predatory from the start because, you know, I mean, obviously he's far more confident than, I mean, we don't know anything about Andre, so we can't like talk about his personality. We just know he's gone. And we Pierre is just Pierre. very meek and cuckoldish and shy and whatever. Yes. But like, there's obviously a difference between being confident in yourself or in general and getting what you want because Ansel seems set on getting Natasha to uh, be with him. And, you know, there was a line about her, like, feels like there's nothing between us, like he's going to pounce and kiss my neck or whatever. Like, that's just weird and creepy. Yeah. But also, I mean, a short little thing, like the song ends on um, there's nothing between us, which, you know, there's a double meaning there. Like, we're so close, there's nothing between us, nothing holding us back from getting together. But also it's just, um, just kind of evident of how the relationship eventually pans out and how Antle, I mean, is alluded to not really being as, um, 
human even as Natasha. So it's like there's not a relate there's not really a relationship there. It's just like, oh, you're cute. Yeah, you're hot. Let's get married. Like there's no substance. It's yeah. just but there's no, there's no real substance, but it's enough to get her swept away because she's so young and naive. Basically, yes. I I definitely um I agree with everything that you just said because basically it shows that he's uh he's just as charming as Pierre, but he has this like air to him that's so I don't know. Like it, it's he like Natasha finds him to be relatable yet not. And and that's so and that's so funny because like the way she says um he is sensible and simple, bold and natural. So she's like unsure of who he is as a person. And she she finds what he says to be agreeable and he's so able to uh, convince her to do things for him and that's what i love about about this character is that like when you hear him sing like he's a character that like you have to admit his voice is heavenly and the way he does speak is like you would want to do what what he says or follow him around and um and the way that like you said uh adding to what you said when he's uh like he may seize me from behind and kiss me on the neck. The way this is this is staged is that um, they are, of course, in the opera box watching the show or watching the show, and she's like, "What if this happens?" And in her mind, the light switch and it shows him kissing her on the neck, but it's in her mind. So she's basically like, "This is happening," and then she's just like, "Oh no!" And so she's like, "I can't think about this," and she's immediately just like trying to make simple talk and by asking how do you like moscow he's like i don't really like it that much but sison literally them and then he's like i don't like moscow but i think the women are (laughs) and so he's basically flirting with her and he actually says we are speaking of the most ordinary things. So basically, like, if we were to have, like, small talk and you're just like, how is the weather? And it's like, oh, the weather's great. But on Natasha's end, she's like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love that we can connect and talk about the weather. I love that, that we have this talk, that we can just connect and feel so, like, we just mesh. And it shows again, like, it, it's the subtle moments where you're just like, this girl is so naive and she's so, like, quick to love someone and it shows how young and simple-minded she is and and how it ends up hurting her in the end also no it's talking about and Anatole huh Uh, I was gonna say this song I I think the instrument instrumentation like makes it really stressful yeah um because I mean there's a build-up and there's a little bit of a mystique to the opera but the buildup was like less, it was more subtle whenever you're building up to seeing who Anatole was and then it comes in with those, those that electronic, yes. that thing. Um, <laughs> and this part is just like the whole thing is just equally stressful because you know that what the tension is between them and you're saying, you're like saying to yourself, Natasha, please don't, <laughs> please, please don't betray your, your, 
your soon-to-be husband who's at who's at war um but you know it's you know like she's headed that direction absolutely um um, and I don't know what it is in the background I think it's an oboe or a clarinet I I can't I asked you this question what the what what the instrument was we are talking about a different song was it a different song this is basically what you're well no but they have this they have the same instrumentation though if I remember correctly has that like that descending that descending thing this is basically percussion and electro oh okay that's what it was okay it was basically like carrying over that okay I was thinking about a different song but I think it it just it feels really stressful because of the way they do it. <laughs> I think this is a very sexy song. This song is sexy. sexy. I love it. And here's oh, why. Because at the end, it's like, she's talking about, like, I feel really close to him. And then actually they are. They're so close to, like, actually doing something. And she's like, well... Sonia's gone, and this is this is why Anatole creeps in is because he watches Sonia leave, and then he's just like, "All right," so he sneaks into Time her to box. Go to Natasha's box. Time to go in Natasha's box. And so, right about to enter Natasha's box, but and and as they continue getting closer, she's just like, "I feel so close to him," and I and I don't know why, but I've never felt this way with any other man. And maybe that's because she's just not as close with Andre, but she just met Anatole and she's known Andre for a year and all of a sudden they're close to each other. And it's like, you, you hear her say like your eyes, I can see your eyes. And it's because she's literally like so close to him and they're so near and there's nothing between us and there's no one watching. So technically we could do this and get away with it. Also, uh, the way that and there's nothing between us and that could symbolize the fact that andre's not going to be a cock block because he's obviously off fighting the war so like he's not going to be like natasha anatole andre it's like they're so close there's nothing between them there's nothing stopping them from doing this i was about to say um another thing is that i, I think it really shows like um the way that Anatole sings in this song really shows the way, like, his character is in terms of, like, manipulativeness. Right. Like, I feel like his, the tone of his singing is very much, like, I don't know, like, he's wanting you to, he's wanting to, to basically, like, influence you. Right. And be charming, like, he's switching something on. <laughs> and, the- and, and the way he's, he's like, uh, I, I he wasn't there a part where he was like trying to convince her to to go to the ball to go to the ball and he in the way he sang all of those the lyrics on that part were really like like you have to you like you have to you, you have, have to come, come. you, have, you to have, to come. have to come and then she's like she basically just like oh uh uh and, and the thing about it though is that it, there are only certain moments when Anatole can really like convince someone and because because at the end of the at the end of the song she's still like having that thought of like i can't because i'm betrothed and i love andre but there's something so strange about this man and he's wanting me to go and he doesn't fully convince her and he has to rely on his sister to come over and basically seduce her and trick her into coming so there's only she does <laughs> and there's like only so much that he can do um 
what's also great is that during this production, when you watch the show, there is an orchestra pit right in the middle of the stage because, again, the stage is everywhere. You are either in the audience uh, or you are on the stage or you are just, like, sporadically in different places. Really a cool setup. It is a beautiful stage. And in the orchestra pit is Pierre's study, or, and that's where he remains for a good chunk of the show. He's just sitting there. And every so often the light comes on and shows how he's reacting. And it could be either him reacting and interacting with someone that comes into his study or it could be him foreshadowing it could be like a foreshadowing uh, moment and in this situation when you hear there's nothing between us he's basically just looking worried he's extremely worried and that's what i like about it because obviously there is a little bit of a like a little simp a little simpness to his character and he obviously has feelings for Natasha but Natasha has her eyes on like two different men and one of them is Pierre's best and closest friend if not his only friend his only true friend and he's extremely like just he's sitting there he's he's worried and it, it foreshadows how things are in the future and that's what I love about um how the stage is set up and how Pierre is like right in the midst of everything that's happening and that is something that I will like touch on uh right before the end of act one but um it's it's what is so interesting about uh the certain things that are said within this song so. I have much else to say on this all right well from the uh, we're on Natasha and Anatole, we now move to Bop. <laughs> this Bop. Oh, it's a Bop. It is. Uh, the world was wide enough. Yes, that's one of my points. So thank you for tuning in. The next uh, it cuts to uh, the duel. Um, uh, as you said, Antle and Helene are brother and sister, so Antle is, by extension, Pierre's brother-in-law, and um, cuts to him, um, urging him to leave his study and go out to the club, which, of course, back then was not a uh, strip club or, well, not like a cliche strip club or an electro dance hall. It's more just like a gentleman's club, but it's presented as such to place us in a modern time. But just um, urging Pierre to come out and then of course um i think i think if i'm not mistaken dolokov who is well, anatole's friend is you know sleeping with elaine and uh cuck holding pierre which um leads to pierre uh getting drunk and existentially reflecting on his life even more just so before you get to that point it's so 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 good this song this song is incredible. This song is one of the best songs, and it's not the song it is right the most, after. It's the it, most Hamilton-y sounding song, though I will say. Absolutely, and and, and I completely you understand. Compare Hamilton at all. If we were to take the two, if if having if not having two characters that were in Hamilton in the show at one point didn't you know, have the similarity between the two shows, then, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But, um, then this song would. Um, I like how you said basically that it is a gentleman's club, and that's what it was back in the day. It was basically where, you know, they would go and they would hang out, and, uh, and it was technically called the club, but the way they treat it, 
in the show with the with the electro uh, dance mix music. Um, dream, dream. It's basically it's like you're at this you're either at this huge house party or you're just at the club or you know what I mean like you're at club rodeo and you're just absolutely losing your mind. And that's what's so fun about um, about the um, the orchestration for the show. And since we can like kind of dissect this song, this song is really kind of like a little bit too much to dissect as well as digest like you're taking it all in and you're just like whoa everyone was just dancing and then Pierre comes for like five minutes and all of a sudden he shoots someone but um a lot but when you think about Pierre and you go back to the song at the very beginning or at at the end of, of prologue or even leading into Pierre everyone's like this man is so introverted i can't imagine him going out he's charming but like he doesn't have that like appeal that would make him want to go and do this stuff he doesn't really have a lot of friends due to that i feel like he thinks he's incredibly intelligent and he wants to find people that are like him however there are not many people like him he's pierre and his one true friend is off fighting in a war. And I think at this point, everyone except Team Rocket or Anatole Dolokhov and, uh, and Helene are all missing Andre at one point in the show. All of them are just like, I feel like things would be better if he was here. And so Pierre is like, well, I have nothing else to do. I normally stay inside. I miss the opera. So I, I guess I should I guess I'll go with you guys. And not only does he go with Dolokhov and Anatole, but his wife comes as well. And, it's, and he, he kind of acts as their purse. Yes, of course. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's how you know that, like, the thing is, between the three people, of Anatole, Helene, and Dolokhov, Anatole is the one the one person that I feel looks out for Pierre. And even though he always asks for money. Even though, and, and that's what I mean, is that he will look out, and he's like, Pierre, stand back, please don't shoot hold your fire don't really do this he does so. look out for for anatole and that's what's so funny is that like later on in the show like it obviously doesn't stay that way but um you can tell that anatole's not really his friend as well as dolokhov and, and and you know helene of course isn't the best wife for him um as anatole is like hey come to the club we kind of want we want you to come we totally want you to come with us and then pierre's like mm, i guess i'll go and then he's like give me money first can i have money can i have like 50 t- rubles <laughs> 50 rubles to get into the show to get into the club no, he's just asking for 50 rubles from his friend because he's, he knows he's going to give it to him. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing is that he he takes he does take money. Anatole not only takes money from Pierre, but he takes money from Dolokhov as well as Helene. Um, so it kind of, it, it shows how immature he is and how charming he is so that he can easily persuade people to give him money. And Pierre is like, oh, I'm just giving money to my good old friend. And again, I feel like this situation is like, um i wouldn't compare him exactly but i would say that uh in a way jerry is pierre exactly and and tom haverford in parks and recreation is anatole if not if not dolokhov because they're all just like basically just taking jabs at, at um at pierre and then asking for money and obviously that's not a true friendship it's quite toxic and you can tell throughout the show that they don't care about Pierre that much. If, if Anatole does a little bit, it's because he grew to care for him from living with Helene and Pierre. 
because he is his um his brother-in-law i mean i think the, the way you go <laughs> um i think uh even though like i don't think we've talked enough about the whole part <laughs> the the uh the drink with me i love put a fire in the sky either way my soul will die and then the the great woes foreshadowing oh love that part it's i love gorgeous. that part it makes me really want to like get up and dance but also like just like really i, I don't know they're really like i don't know this just, is it's really great for there's for there's fire in the sky this is foreshadowing as to what happens at the end of the show and and they're like and there's ice on the ground they're like just drink with me either way shit's gonna happen i also so, love, i love the whole thing where like um i like it whenever like pierre breaks it down oh when the beat immediately just goes like you know like it goes like chill and, and like how they mix the like whole russian like dance traditional like dance genre into, with, like, with with the, the like a r&b it's, it's not it's r&b, R&B but like, like a little like a little hip-hop boom boom thing. boom 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 yeah oh it's so good <laughs> um but i just love i think it's i think side note i think it's really funny how josh groban is like so pg and so much like oh your mother's favorite person <laughs> and then he's like he's like doc the doctor's worried about uh, warn me about my corpulence corpulence <laughs> use the word corpulence and i just think it's so funny because it's like his character is actually very, very i don't know <laughs> I think- even when he's trying to be like ooh, i'm i'm being a being pretty like you know like i'm i'm gonna go do some wreck some havoc on town i'm gonna go out in the town <laughs> like he's <laughs> to, to the people that are listening to us as well as you guys i encourage you to listen to the original recording which includes dave malloy as well as pierre he in my opinion as much as i love josh groban josh groban in this soundtrack with the girl that is playing natasha i feel like they fit they fit perfectly and i feel like philippa sue and dave malloy who were on each other's um original cast recording they fit perfectly but i feel like in my opinion dave malloy relates to pierre otherwise he would not i mean anyone can i feel like he the way and and the way he says so you you don't think the whole thing where he's like he's like acting like where like even whenever he's he's out on the town and he's like really nerdy he's uh, i feel like josh groban does it you think that you don't think that fits his character? Because to me, it sounds like you don't think that fits his character. No, 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 no. See, that, see it, it, it's this song. It's specifically this song. And it's the way that, it, it's the way that Dave Malloy sings, um, the doctors warned me that with my corpulence, uh, vodka and wine are dangerous for me. And with Josh Groban, he is a very nerdy character, but I can still see that he's very lovable. Dave Malloy is... Uh, has like this aggressive gravelly tone to him when he sings that or um the way he like kind of growls when he sings it he has nothing else to lose he has nothing else to lose at this point i feel like he was done from the beginning i already like i mean because you can see like josh groban is like i'm a i'm a man who just sticks to myself i'm the lone wolf and you can tell that this man is severely depressed but with dave malloy he makes you believe it but for the rest of the show, I find that Josh Groban fit the fit 
Dust and Ashes, which was added into the original Broadway mm, cast with so him. So for him to sing that, I feel like this is a song that embodies his character as well as his portrayal of the character itself. Um, but in this situation, I feel like the aggressiveness and the, uh, even though the doctors told me that I can't drink vodka and wine, I'm going to do it anyways because what else do I have left? That fits Dave Malloy, in my opinion, just the way that he sounds, and it makes me hurt for him. Um, but but Pierre just sounds like this guy that, like, is on a trip. He's just like, well, I know that the doctor said that, you know, with my corpulence that it's kind of dangerous for me to drink, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then he's like, whoa, it didn't mean for this to happen. So, like, it's obviously, there's difference. There's, like, similarities and differences between the way these two characters play Pierre. Uh-huh. And it's so just phenomenal. It's amazing. Both cast recordings are amazing. Please listen to them. And yeah, both of them are, are awesome. They just have different things with them. I, isn't Philippa Sue? Philippa Sue. Philippa Sue is on the other recording, right? Yes, she okay. is playing Natasha. Philippa Sue, anybody who doesn't know, that's Eliza. Um, from Hamilton. From Hamilton. She's so. not, she's the first character from Hamilton that was in the show. I, I prefer Danae, to be honest, but I think Philippa does a really good job too. So it's actually really hard, actually, to say. It is extremely difficult to. By the way, Danae plays Eliza, doesn't she? And Danae played Eliza. Yeah, so <laughs> immediately after, switched. immediately <laughs> after Great Comet, spoiler alert, it closed in 2017. Um, after, after the Broadway and in uh, the Broadway run ended, she moved over to Hamilton and she became so. Eliza. So it's really funny how things switch around like that. Anyway, back to this song. Um, this song is so key to how Pierre is feeling as a character. And it only adds more because this man is obviously bothered. This man is stressed. He's, ang- he's anxious. He's depressed. All he does is drink and read. And, and, and so the one night where he's like, you know what, I think I can come out and just enjoy, enjoy a night with my friends. He gets drunk and the worst happens. He ends up shooting someone that comes with him. And, and not only that, he shoots someone that is pretty, pretty like intimate is like not only physical, but like, like spiritually connected to Helene. Helene and, and Dolokhov obviously have... Uh, a relationship built outside of the marriage that Pierre and Helene have. Obviously, Helene and Pierre are both unhappily wed, um, but Helene actually does something about it, and she goes and she messes around with Dolokhov. Um, and it's a very, it's a very um, uh, overwhelming thing because near the end, Pierre, I mean, not Pierre, but Dolokhov, and he, and he says this in the book, here's to the health of married women. And he smirks. So he's basically looking right up here, and he's just like, hmm, what are you going to do about it? And then he says, and they're lovers. <laughs> and, like, here's to the, yes, of course, here's to the, here's to the health of married women and their lovers. And Pierre is going on, like, please, like, how, how dare you ridicule me in front of me and, and flirt with my everyone. wife in front of me? And, and then basically... It, it sparks Pierre being kind of stupid. This is the one time that I've seen him be in, unintelligent. And of course, like, and it's because he's, he's drunk. drunk. But... Um, and he says, I challenge you to a duel. 
this is a stupid situation. Like, Anatole even says it, and Anatole is stupid, period. So it's like, for, for, for that stupid person, for a stupid saying, person to be like, dude, you can't do this. This is stupid. You know, Dolokhov is an, inc- like, at the beginning of the show, he's introduced as Dolokhov, the uh, assassin. Anatole, well, that too, but Anatole's friend, the crazy good shot. Yeah. And <laughs> I think it's a play on words because, um, basically, when he says Dolokhov's, I mean, Anatole's friend, the crazy, um, the crazy gets shot, it also sounds like the crazy gets shot. So it kind of links towards the fact that in the duel, Pierre miraculously shoots him and he wins the duel because he has to get taken to the infirmary and has to recover. And because he gets shot, and, and, and first of all, Pierre was like, I'm going to die. He's like, I'm going to die. He's, and then... And, and, and Helene is like, hey, maybe you shouldn't challenge him to a duel because if he's such a good shot, he's going to kill you. And, she's like, and he's like, you know what? If I get killed, I get killed. Why would that matter to you? And they fetch their guns and there's just, there's no remorse. I feel like there's no, I mean, of course, like, he says like it. I also feel was hoping to die. What? I also feel like, not Anatole. Um, Pierre, Pierre was, was wanting to. Die, the way that it's staged is that he shoots and, and he shoots Dolokhov and Dolokhov was like, it's my turn now. And Pierre's like, it's my turn. Which means he's like, he's like, it's my turn to die. So he just stands there and the way he, it's so heartbreaking because he just like stands there with open arms and he's just like, his eyes are closed and he's waiting for him to get shot. But he doesn't. And he and Dolokhov misses, so it kind of takes away the part where it says he's the crazy good shot. And so basically, Anatole leaves him at the bar saying, It's fine, sleep it off, just be grateful you're still alive. And it leads into our next song. I mean, some last notes to tie it up. I mean, the uh, part no touchdown, fire in the sky, ice on the ground, something like that. I mean, I, I feel like. The fact that people thought the comet referenced was uh, going to be the end of everything is what I read. And just the fact that, I mean, I feel like it's so disillusioning, the feeling of the song, just because of that that kind of feeling. But also, um, it's just it feels like you're watching through Pierre's eyes, just we're also hazy and drunk and feeling as such. I mean, I said this to Noah as well. I mean, there's obviously so much weight that comes with the duel, but also like, you can't help but compare it to the world was wide enough in Hamilton when, you know, obviously Hamilton and Bird duel. And uh, like upon first listen, like I obviously feel different about it now that you've added on more to it, but like it felt very lame in comparison since the world was wide enough. It's like the climax of the show and just the end of everything for Hamilton. This is just like some random spotty idiotic duel in in the middle of the show. So I thought that was funny, but other than that, you know, just like also had like the only part I felt bad about for Antol, which like he was forced to be married, so he just chooses to ignore everything and, you know, just refuses to own up for his actions, maybe because of that, I don't know. And then also Dolkov throughout the show, he's just interesting because I think it ties on at least as well with Anatole being nice to Pierre that you know, good people do bad things and bad people do good things and just Dolkov just seems all over the place in terms of who he sides with and his actions. There's like in the way and I'm happy that you brought that up because honestly if we if we talked about it later on it wouldn't have made sense unless we actually talked about it 
right now. And, and, and yes, he is actually married. He was forced to marry him because um, he basically, he, he was, uh, he is another person that's basically in an unhappy unhappy marriage and he doesn't like to talk about it the only people that know are the people that are close to him such as helene dolokoff maybe pierre uh but other than that no one knows and that's why natasha's so eager to do whatever anatole says is because she's like he's thinking of only me um and maybe he is but he still has ties attached to him and so the only thing he can do because if you, because again, it's back in the times where it's like, if you, you, it's, it's ungodly to divorce someone. So that's why Pierre and Helene are stuck in this, in this marriage, as well as the fact that, um, as well as the fact that Anatole was forced into this marriage. And if he's forced into this marriage with a Polish landowner, um, I feel like something could happen if he tried to leave. And that's a risk that he's willing to take. Yeah. Yeah. But moving on from Bill, we move into um, Dust and Ashes. The, so, one of the best songs. Yes, very much so. Noah, start us off. Um, I love this song because it also has the whole, um, I just really love the, the instrumentation of this. Um, with the strings and the, like I said before, the strings and the, um, and the uh, piano. Um, and it feels really epic the way they, they, the way they do it. And it feels like, um, it just feels like, uh, they make it feel like Pierre's having some sort of epiphany, um, or not exactly epiphany, but he has like a moment to where like, it shows the moment leading up to him having an epiphany showing him like he doesn't want to choose this fate of like basically leading a meaningless life of drinking and not doing much um uh and uh i don't know in terms of lyrics and everything i just i feel like a lot of it is i i can really i think a lot of people do resonate with like him like questioning like like the state in which he's in is, is how I'm gonna stay and how I'm gonna die, and uh, um, I don't know. It's 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 really good. It's beautiful. It <laughs> so, sounds so stupid, but when it's you, so good. When you listen to the song, I feel like there are certain lyrics that you can just listen to and be like, "I feel this." I incredibly. I feel this, and this song is is one of the mo- is one of the most beautiful songs that I've ever heard in terms of musical theater, and it it is Pierre's song. It is such it. No matter who sings it, no matter who sings this song, it's it's just so crucial to this character. I love how wordy it is too, because like that describes it describes, it describes him. Pierre. He's so knowledgeable. He's so <laughs> intellectual, and he's he's wanting more out of the life that he's living, but what more can he do? And especially after almost dying, almost like murdering one of his friends, you know what I mean? And he's just like, if I were to die, people would remember me solely for this, solely for the fact that I only sit in my room and drink and read. I have nothing really that's so 
interesting to me. And, and he just goes around and he talks about how he doesn't want to waste any minutes, but he tastes every wasted breath and every minute that he has um, lived. And he, he questions whether or not he was good enough to people. Was he kind enough to people? Did he love enough people? And I feel like each time he sings, he's constantly doubting himself and constantly questioning himself. I feel like he doesn't, I feel like he want. he really needs someone to truly love him, but he also, I don't think he feels like he deserves it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love this character so much. <laughs> It has great lines in it too. I mean, I remember the specific line I was talking about. We don't, we're truly asleep or don't wake up until we fall in love. But also specifically uh, referencing the title, which is We Are Children of Dust and Ashes, which was very interesting because, you know, I also see that it's like, um, by ourselves, we are nothing without the connections we make in life, specifically through love and. I mean, I think it's space the characters. A lot of the characters, specifically Natasha and Pierre, don't seem to really find worth in life or just can't see worth in life outside of the idea of love, which I yes. think really speaks to how I felt about love when I was younger, which I was just obsessed with finding someone to love and just um, not really knowing anything about it, but also just the only thing I want is that. But it's also like we have to make ourselves happy, but also just it's interesting in this play, like no one's truly happy unless they have this um, idea of love, which I mean, everybody wants in life. Just somebody to protect them or care for them or just be there for them. And yeah, Pierre's songs are, I'd say the best. Just because yeah. they're the most relatable. You're not like looking in on something, you're feeling something. The passage, um taken when the lyrics are um they say we are asleep until we fall in love um this is a passage taken straightly from the book and it's a quote up here um he actually says it's actually one of the most uh one of the most uh well-known um passages uh from this uh section of the book and the way it's saying in the way that he invites like the ensemble as well as the people because the way the way that it is set up in this number is the fact that people are standing around the audience as well as the stage there are so many Uh members in this cast and this song like the harmonies if you listen to the harmonies at the end um during the final uh, chorus, or uh, they say we are asleep until we fall in love, we hear this, like, just heartwarming, but also heartbreaking, uh, yet, like, hopeful and yearning type of sound to uh, the chords that are made within the harmonies of this um, the ensemble are singing. They're sitting, they're all standing right around the stage, as well as in the audience, and so everyone is hearing this. And it's, and it's kind of like basically um, Pierre's almost like, it's, it's, it's like a part of his epiphany. And it's basically he, him being like, I am so, I'm easy to close off and then place the blame on, on anyone else but me. But I'm ready to just fully experience what life is about and I'm ready to love. And that's what I relate between um, Natasha and Pierre is that they're both 
again, like you said, they, they don't know anything outside of the fact that they want to love someone. And they haven't really found anyone that has given them that feeling. Or they, they believe that they have, but I, they're not truly happy. And, the, and, and Natasha won't be truly happy. And, you know, and it just goes, it goes on. And that's why the two main characters are so easily likable. You can't, I feel like these two characters, uh, Natasha and Pierre, you can't dislike them. I feel like no one can dislike them. And I feel like it's because both of them are so relatable and they're so similar to each other that it's, it's just impossible to. I think the part, the climax of the song where you're, where they cut basically all the instrumentation. And yes. It's just the, the chorus um, doing harmonies around, um, around uh, Pierre singing is a great, um, I don't know, it's a great way to like, to auto, like use the um, music to uh, like, like visualize, I guess, like how Pierre is thinking at this time where he's realizing he wants to like, he wants to change. I think it, I, it, it's really, it does really well, like, um, like showing his realization where he doesn't want to stay stagnant where he was in the beginning where he's just like, well, this is where I'm at and this is where I'm going to stay, even though I don't like it. I think this symbolizes not only that, but as well as the fact that it reminds me of church. It reminds me of like religion. And that is something that is so subtle within this, um, within the show is that like, I mean, there are certain characters that are like, obviously like you can tell they're religious. And I think that Pierre is, is someone that's a little bit religious, but not entirely until this moment when, um, when the harmonies start and the music stops. And then he's finally saying, um, we are, um, you know, we are children of dust and ashes. We are God and angels leave. And during this time, I feel like the harmonies are so ethereal. And I feel like it's, it's almost as if like, it represents heaven, in my opinion. And it may be just be me being too deep, but at the end, it's him basically saying, I don't want to die like this. I want to wake up. Please, like, God, don't let me die while I'm like this. And he's just clinging on to something. He's wanting something to cling on to and to hold on to, to advance on in his life. Yeah, I didn't need that. It's really cool. Good on you. I'm proud of you. Okay. Well, that was, uh, you know, Dust and Ashes, again, a song that stands on its own rather than just in the fold of the musical, something I'd cover in the future. But uh, moving on from what? Yeah, I would. Uh, moving on, uh, we have Sunday Morning by Maroon 5. Yeah. Rain is falling, you get it. Uh, change, totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's real strange how we just cut to a Maroon 5 song. We really, <laughs> oh, <that was laughs> really the only main thing I have to say about Sunday morning is that um, every time I look in the mirror and then just um, I forget the specific details with the candles and what you can see in the background is talk, what lies talk about the image. Uh, I wanted Destiny to talk about something. Talk about the imagery in this scene. I've been talking so much. But this is 
what I've been waiting for this entire time. And this is I something that one, I... Did I say my one thing? That's yeah. All. I was saying, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you obviously have a lot to say about it. With the candles, you're just seeing the future in the mirror, like past you. And just like... Yeah. How characters like Natasha and Pierre don't see anything except for themselves. Like, they're very hopeless. And I think that's a very interesting detail. So just to convey that in such a unique way. But, you know, off to you. I think, again, bringing up religion, I feel like Sonia is very um, practical. She's very, I feel like she's logical, uh, just like Maria. And Natasha, again, as we know, she's young. She's very uh, childlike. She's very just playful. And as it begins with uh, every, like every Sunday morning, uh, early before we go to church, they light a candle and they look in the mirror. And this is something that is um, basically an, like an ancient practice where they look and it's kind of like a way in order to um, like look in the past, like you said. And, is it past and it's basically um, past lives or future. Okay. And um so she's sonia is saying that like you know you can see your future the longer of candles stretching back and back um you can see a coffin or a man everyone sees a man but at the beginning they look in the mirror and natasha's like i see my face and it's because she's looking in the mirror and sonia's just like you dumbass but (laughs) (laughs) but um but uh and she's like don't be silly come on but um and then it leads to the way that it's staged in the production and this is something so beautiful to me and it's so it's it's genius it's it's her standing on the stage um at an angle with sonia and they have a candle and they're looking in the mirror in the mirror the person behind them is pierre and she's talking about how she sees the candles and stretching back and she sees a shape in the darkness. Um, she's like, is it him or is it he's lying down? Why is he lying down? I'm so frightened. Andre is never going to come back or something's going to happen to me before he does. That is ultimate foreshadowing. If, if you listen to it, that sounds like foreshadowing, but the way that it's staged on, uh, she's obviously, immediately thinking of Andre. So obviously like Andre is still in her mind. It's not completely Anatole, but she, she does think about Andre and how she, she misses him uh, from time to time and how she wants to see him, but she's afraid that something's going to happen to him. And I think at this point she feels that something will happen to him. So she feels like, I feel like, I feel like she thinks that her actions, uh, with Anatole are justified due to this but the way that it's staged is Pierre is in a study and he's passed out drunk I'm sure it's right after dust and ashes where he has like his thing and he's just like yeah I'm ready to wake up but he's like drunk and he's asleep passes out yeah he he passes out again he's drunk on on his desk and he's lying down and um and if we're talking about um about the future we see basically a lot of these things that are mixed into what natasha claims to be seeing pierre is lying down and she's like why is he lying down um and then talking about how andre 
won't come back unless some like she feels like something's going to happen to her before he comes home and it actually happens so um in a way there's uh, a lot of different futures and their outcomes um predicted in this certain song um that are proven not only in the production as it goes on but the book too yeah no um I don't really have much to say about this. Um, it's more of just like, I feel like serves, it's whenever you listen to it, it's not really, I mean, it's beautiful of course, but mm -hmm. like, it doesn't really give you as much as if you watch it because there's other stuff that like, which what Destiny's saying mm -hmm. going on that has like double meanings. Um, it more just leads into the next part yes. in which like basically Hel Helene is does her thing. Chum. Um, Finally. <laughs> well, not um, huh? Not finally. No, no. Yes. It's time. It's what no, we no, deserve. No. We deserve to listen to it. Tammy too, get out of here. Give me some <laughs> air. Nibble on it. Yeah, it just basically just serves to do that. I mean, honestly, um, I really wish it, this is like one of those songs I wish I could actually just, I could have like been there to see because I, I think that's a really cool effect. I actually haven't seen that myself, but my window just talked. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the reason why Destiny went, my wind, the wind blew really hard at my window. Oh, sorry, um, my window just talked. My bad. <laughs> um, I think uh, this is a good segue to uh, to uh, charming, which is Helene persuading Natasha to go to the ball. Yeah, for Anatole's request, and well, yeah, well, she's Bethany clearly wants to take the floor. All I'll say is like I don't have much to say except it's um, it's unbelievable how easily swayable Natasha is. Make sure they have that's yeah, all you gotta do is like be like, "Oh, you're so pretty. You're so pretty. You should go to the ball. You, you're such a. Why like are you you're such so a, beautiful. Why are you being such a plain country girl and staying around here when you could go out to the ball? I mean, that's essentially what the whole song is. But it's really good because <laughs> I think Amber Gray's a great, great singer. Um. I don't know the way she's the way she sings <laughs> the way she sings it is just really like gravelly and I think the I think they really chose the like the perfect person to be Helene whenever they did the casting. If you were to ever question your sexuality as a female, it would be because of this character. Point blank period. Seemed like Natasha yeah. thing for Helene. Like she was well, I'd like to make a side note about this. Amber Gray is like so opposite of all the characters she's played in both of these. Like she's I'm not saying so sweet. Persephone's a bad person in, in uh, Hades Town, and it, I will say though Helene, I don't really like that much. <laughs> well, I mean, I like the character. I just if I knew the person myself, I would not like them because like 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 Mitchell said, <laughs> she, she reminds me of Tammy too. If she breathes, uh, she's a fuck. <laughs> Um, yeah, I can see you the all women are queens guy. All women are queens. <laughs> um, and um, no, it's, it's weird how opposite she is in real life. She's so sweet in real life, but like, 
from all the videos I've seen of her. Anyway, <laughs> her voice is just fits this character really well, and she does. Um, uh, she 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 uh, basically makes her voice sound like she's trying to, like, I don't know. Like, she does she's her trying purpose. Trying to like convince convince her, and also it's funny because you can see a lot of similarities between her and, and Anatole and how they're like, yeah, they're so similar and how they like, they really are good at convincing people to do things. Helene said by rights. Helene is, I feel like a little bit better at convincing people to do things, but yeah, you can see a lot of similarities. And in, in this one, there isn't so much, I don't think electronics, electronic instrumentation no it's it's, it's more really just, just like it's a very fun song for how bad really you can hear the strings for, the, for what's going on it's so fun though whenever you listen to it i don't know about you but i love the strings i've always loved um the string section the in string this. section i feel like the string section is so sultry and sexy and i feel like it goes perfectly with the song yeah um uh taking a little bit at a time <laughs> um so basically you know like she kind of shows up randomly um after the duel anatole's like helene you bring up the beast and man and she's like it's a gift and he's like hmm i adore you please go to uh please go to natasha's house and ask her to go to the ball and she's like of course i'll do it for you team rocket let's go so basically after church, Maria goes to Principal Konsky's, and I think at this point, Sonia left to go with her, because uh, Maria's like, I'm gonna straighten this dude out. If he's gonna be a jerk to you, I'm gonna talk to him. Yeah. And then she's like, I hate that old man. I'm gonna stay here and try on new dresses for fun. And then Helene's like, knock, knock, guess who's here? And she's like, oh, uh, okay. And and it just immediately starts, and, and like you said, they are they are quite similar, Helene and Anatole, because she immediately starts with like, "You are an enchantress. You are beautiful. It's charming. These dresses are so beautiful on you. Anything suits you." And obviously, she's like flirting with Natasha throughout this entire song. Um, it also shows the the fact that she's very much into. Um, straight up fashion as well as she she longs for the finer things and i'm pretty sure that's probably why she's mary pierre's because she's still with them yes because he is quite wealthy um and she does wear the way she is um uh introduced in the in the uh the opera the ball or the, you know whatever the opera she is exposed uh in a beautiful dress she has pearls like a double string of pearls so that shows like she has a very um fine taste a fine yeah. taste like a really good uh a really high status as well um with being married pierre she's basically the trophy wife wife of, of pierre um except you know they're not happy um so basically she's like oh she's blushing she's so pretty uh you're so charming and basically when she says charmante that's like her trying to be like speaking french saying oh it's so lovely but she sings it wrong and the pronunciation is um is is wrong so it kind of shows like she's butchering it and it kind of, I don't know it, it, it's kind of funny like she's confidently saying that this is 
how you're supposed to say the word, but it's not. Because you're supposed to say, like, uh, when, whenever uh, you say uh, charming, you go uh, charmant, or, you know what I mean? Um, and, and she's just constantly like, charmante, charmante, it's charming. Um, why are you shutting yourself in? You're engaged, but that doesn't mean that you can't have fun. Look what I'm doing. Um, and then she's like, my brother didn't eat anything while he was dining with me because all he wanted to talk about was you. Um, and trying to be like, you should come to the ball because my brother just really wants you there. I would like to see you there. You're so pretty. And then she's like, your fiance would want you to go out and have fun. Like, Alien Don Le Monde. And she says, like, the way she says, uh, Alien Don Le Monde, she's basically saying, um, she's basically saying, go out into the world and experience things rather than, she's, she's basically, she's saying what she said before, which is, your fiance would want you to have fun rather than be bored to death. And that translates into, go out into the world rather than die from being bored also have you noticed that all the negative like me like antagonist type people really speak a lot of french have you noticed that in this in this musical you know i'm a french minor so let's keep going <laughs> <laughs> let's Both keep going Anatole and helene speak so much french and oh, literally sure. you don't hear it as much Unless it's a negative thing going on, like the, 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 the way the, whenever they're talking about Pierre behind his back, and he's like, he's so charming, has no sex, but he said, they, then they say, in French, yeah, anything negative. I don't know what it is with Dave Malloy and, and French people. He know he has. To, I think it's a negative. <laughs> I think it's a negative intention because a lot of the things that they do say are are kind of like both negative and positive. Being like, uh, like again, saying go out into the world and experience things don't stay home go see my brother well, and you have well it's interesting because like i read that um russian aristocrats are just in a higher class speak french just to show off their class and their wealth yeah. which is strange given like the juxtaposition between that and Fr france literally trying to invade them <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird yeah i was thinking of that too but like the connections, I don't know. I feel like like the the, the antagonist people speak the French. The most. Oh yeah, and, and and the way they say it too. Like in in the um when Natasha and Anatole meet for the first time, and he's like, well, I don't really like Moscow that much, but c'est son la jolie femme. And then obviously she understood that, and. Every single time, like, it, like basically, when he says "saison les jolies femmes," it's like I don't like Moscow, but the women. And so she's like, "Oh, so like each time those two say something that's French, I feel like they have a, a, like, a different intention." It's almost like a way of coding for who's like who is not so good and who is who is nice. Because it's like whenever Anatole said all that, in the beginning, it just I think feel like also the whole intention of speaking French and all that um, kind of makes you look like you're kind of like showy, I yeah. guess, and it makes you look like you're disingenuous, I think, also in this whole thing. I've never seen Dolokhov speak French, and Dolokhov is really admirable. He's just there. I think I love Dolokhov. Although he, he, he did participate with Elaine in the cheating thing, I like. As well as everything else. Yeah. He also he also is he smart. has a little bit of a, an admirable quality for him. I love him, and I can understand people liking him. I can't really understand um, liking Anatole or or Helene. 
Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but Dolkov, at least, I feel like, I feel like, Dolkov, does, you're, you're right, he doesn't ever speak, speak He doesn't French. speak French. I think he's just there. I think he's like the Meowth of the Team Rocket. I literally, I really do believe that. Dolkov is Meow. Dolkov is Meow. Uh, except, except one of the Team Rocket's members is, is, that would mean that one of Team Rocket's members is, is like sexually with Meow. So. Oh, we're not talking about that just yet. <laughs> but you feel like Jesse is hooking up with Meow or this Meow guy's watching <laughs> brother and sister hook up. Also, I think Dolkov uh, uh, kisses Anatole at some point. They both kiss. Um, but like, you know, by rights, but anyway. Dolkov's like, this is wrong. And Antle's like, uh, no, it's not. And he's like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> like, he doesn't even stand up for himself. He's like, hey, let's not do this. No, we got it. No, you're right. I'm going to ride or die with you, bro. Meow. This is like the, bro, bro type of situation. Um, and, and at the end, he's like, my brother is so madly in love with you. And then she's like, all right, I'll see you at the ball. And Natasha's just standing there. She's like, huh? And then Natasha's like speaking to herself. And the thing is, is that what happens a lot is um, whenever someone speaks in either the third person or if they're talking like to themselves, something's about to happen. So when she's like, what seems so terrible now seems so just natural. And she knows that I'm engaged, but she talks so frankly. So it's okay. And then Helene's like, there's a ball at my house tonight. You gotta come. You will be the prettiest there. Uh, and then she's like, how the thought of throwing them together amuses me. And she's just like, it can tell, like, you can tell that she's just doing it for funsies. Honestly, Helene reminds me way more of, I, I said this before, and anybody who like is familiar with Town or Hades, yeah, Hadestown, uh, reminds me a little bit more of the fates because she's just trying to cause mischief mischief <laughs> and um and the the fates in hadestown really are just there to cause mischief and like oh we're gonna cause some drama oh, everyone some listen to hadestown um, but listen to the original cast recording not the broadway cast yep recording. original is better the original is better this one Sue me. I, this one you can hear both of them and there's things you can get from both uh i feel like um I'm not gonna bash the other one, but but it's interesting to hear Dave Malloy be as be Pierre, though. I will now say I gotta try to get Dave Malloy to watch this because we've referenced him so much. And now Dave Malloy. We have to hashtag Dave Malloy in this. Well, I'll tag him. By the way, um, I understand that we've been talking for a while here, but um, whoa, whoa, we have one more song to do. You can't just throw that in there. Break the wall. <laughs> I was going to say, this is actually a pretty topical, I don't know, uh, discussion because Destiny enlightened me with the fact um, that um, the, the rights to, uh, to, um, to do the musical and like in, for touring productions and, and, the whole, and everything like that, or just like in productions like in like smaller theaters has been released this just, re just recently. Due to the controversy that happened that ended up closing the production for good in 2017, um, we have been 
incredibly missing the show and 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 it, i have such a love hate relationship with the show i have such a a love for the show it's my favorite what's, what's the controversy the controversy is Oak, who played Hercules Mulligan from Hamilton, he took on the role of um, Pierre for a certain amount of time. So um, this was the first uh, person of color that played Pierre. And he was just incredible. And there's so many things to each Pierre, no matter who plays him, they always play him correctly. However, there is a thing on Broadway called stunt casting, and it happens when, if a Broadway show isn't doing that well, you bring in someone that's either a celebrity, a well-known celebrity, or you bring in a star that will give you a boost in ticket sales. And oh. that's exactly what they did with Josh Groban. Josh Groban brought in both musical theater fans from the ages of, uh, of teens to you know adulthood, and then also the middle-aged wine moms that enjoy Josh Groban and would love to sleep with him. Since he also happened to be really good. He's incredible. He brought in ticket sales. He left. And Oak took in. Oak came in. And of course, Oak is kind of stunt casting because he was from Hamilton. Was from Hamilton. <laughs> he, was a, he was a good part. He played, uh, he played Hercules Mulligan. Everyone knows him as Hercules Mulligan. However, they still weren't making a lot of sales. So... I think it was partly because of Dear Evan Hansen, too. Partly because of... It was around... Uh, after Tony season, if a certain musical beat a lot of other musicals by taking home the Tonys, such as Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen, who took home a, a grand, a good amount of Tonys um, during their season, a lot of shows will start closing down on Broadway. And it's really sad to see. Um, because they don't, yeah. Because they're not making enough money because a lot of people are, are seeing those shows. Um, however, so, so when it comes down to it, Oak had two more weeks left in his run. It was a limited run um, to be Pierre. And they decided that they were going to replace him and cut his, his, uh, his time short and bring in Mandy Patinkin, who is uh, he's an incredible actor, incredible singer. He, and Mandy Patinkin, I, I love him. However, they should have finished Oak's run. And Oak talked about how he was kind of upset that they didn't, really get to like let him finish the run and Mandy Patinkin after accepting the role he was like I'm really sorry but I, I have to refuse this role I can't take it anymore and everyone was like either upset at the fact that Mandy's not going to be in the show and because of the controversy or the fact that like Oak had still he couldn't finish his last two weeks so within that um it, it led to the show being closed down for good um Right before, I think it was supposed to be uh, a full year of them of them being on Broadway, and after them going through off Broadway and whatnot, and that's so short. Yeah, really. I'm looking forward to the day that it um, that it um, is revived, or that people start uh, taking the licensing for this production and start making it their own. I would love to see that. However, until then, it's hard for me to listen to this show because I know at the end, it's the end of the show. And it's so difficult to say goodbye to it because it's one of my favorites. Um, Send tweet. Yes. Um, but anyway, I, I was just trying to say... <laughs> yes, I, I agree. I agree with everything. Um, I don't know how we got into that conversation. I think it was mainly my fault. But also... <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to make a connection about that. Um, 
what is next in the track list? The ball. The final track of part one, act one, is the ball. Where, obviously, it's the ball. It's hard to talk about this. It's kind of like a, okay, anyway, sorry. So my thoughts are, um, obviously, this is where Anna's whole fucking cucks Andre. Everything. And, you know, it's a very... It's very creepy. Like, he's obviously not taking no for an answer. He's blocking her path, pressing her arms, hurting her hands just so she he can kiss her. And then when they kiss her, it's like waiting at the door. I mean, you brought you brought up Sonya being religious. I read that you know Natasha's also religious, and it's like based on you know um, breaking a bond with Andre and kissing. Anatole, it seems like she's justifying her actions, both through the lens of her faith, but also just to make herself feel better. So it's like, well, this was fate. This had to happen. Otherwise, this couldn't have happened. So it's like, well, now I must love him. Like, now I got to leave Andre behind. And yeah, I really wow, think that's just really sad. The cool thing about yeah. it is that, like, the instrumentation, like, builds to it in, this, in a way that's, like, um, it's like uh, really like what's it? I feel like the tempo kind of builds up. It's like kind of it's kind of it's a waltz. There's a lot of waltz waltzes within yes. the musical itself, and I wanted to talk about that. It's like an electronic waltz, yes. <laughs> but like it like gets more intense as like they're it builds building to the part where. Where he kisses her. Where he kisses her. And then it just completely, just like, and it just slows down. <laughs> Dave Malloy, by the way, loves waltzes, apparently, because <laughs> waltzes are, there's so many. Hashtag Dave Malloy. Can you blame me, Dave Malloy? <laughs> well, okay, let's just call him Dave. Hi, Davey. Davey. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, he loves waltzes, I, I would guess, because, like, this whole thing is, like, basically a waltz. <laughs> this, okay. By the way, um, maybe I should say this for the last part, but, like, he, like, makes everything a waltz, but it all sounds good. This guy. Okay. Anatole. We all know Anatole's a dick. We all know he is. He's, he's a trash Tory dick. He's so bad, but you can't help but love him because he's charming, and that's what we're wanting. That's what she wants, and that's what she thinks she wants. But she's also just like I'm with you on everything except for the can't help but love him. Yeah, I don't love him at all. (laughs) I don't love him at all. I think I think he's a terrible person. As someone that relates heavily to Natasha, um, and has gone through similar things while being Natasha, I understand where she's coming from and I will defend her until I die. Well, of course. That's, you're doing it through a specific lens that no and I are just like more general like, wow, this guy fucking sucks. Yeah, you're more, you guys are more like Pierre and I'm more like Natasha. Yeah. I also think that she's trying to, I, I think that's um, what's interesting and I think you already hit on this, but the fact that like, I think she's just trying to like convince herself that yes. she, she loves Exactly. She's just, as I said, she's justifying it happening and justifying her actions and then in turn swaying herself. I think that's a really cool, like, cool, um, I don't know, I don't feel like people do that really that often in terms of, like, 
um, with characters and everything like that. Like, um, I think they do really well in terms of like, um, um, what's it called? Um, shoot, like showing how innocent Natasha is. And this is like the key moment, I think that shows her innocence. This, the fact that she's like convincing herself, even though he's like, he's the one being like, being a dick essentially and being like terrible person and she's like well obviously it was like she's like blaming herself like well, obviously this is like you know i love him so you know right that's the reason why that happened it's like no no <laughs> that's not <laughs> he's just an asshole exactly and this the way he speaks to her is pretty much because like when you think about it, the way that he is he's very much a romantic he knows exactly what he's doing he knows what card he's playing he knows he knows what bush what buttons to press to like get her to like want to talk to him more and he says things like gaze in my eyes you're bewitching and and like anyone could say that and you're just like oh wow oh all right and and she's basically like you can't say these things i'm gonna get married to this man and then anatole's like no don't tell me that i told you that i loved you so and then he makes her feel guilty every time that someone says something that he doesn't like no matter who it is he says it to quite a few people um he's like don't speak to me of that don't talk like that we i don't like what you're saying stop talking speak less and he's like i'm in love with you is it my fault that you're enchanting and it's basically like him in a way like blaming it on her and being like it's not my fault that that i'm enchanted because you're enchanting and she's just like oh it's my fault well i i guess i understand where he's coming from time to time to run off but um (laughs) but like still at the end at the end of the song it is it's really unfortunate because he it, obviously she does have some type of she feels some type of way with him um and she's trying to like you said can convince herself that she needs to be with with andre um however anatole's like i'm not gonna let that happen um and in, in, in the end he really doesn't he doesn't allow her to to end up with with uh, Andre and he's like I'm gonna block her from leaving uh, she's not leaving and then he ended up kissing her and then immediately she's just like well it means he loves me so what else can I say yeah. and it's just it's so poor it's horrific that he in he can push those buttons and um, just he knows how to take advantage of her and make her feel like this is okay. I feel bad for her. I understand where she's coming from. Yeah. And I can't help but just be like, I understand where she's coming from. And it's a character that I will defend. A lot of people are like, why would you do that? Why would you let him do that? And I'm like, well, first of all, she didn't have a choice in the matter because he kind of blocked her from leaving. But also it's like, she's so young and the one person that she wants to love and be with is not there. So she's like, what do I do? And she's conflicted. I agree. Any other thoughts, Noah? Um, nothing else really, no, not really. Well, 
then we have reached the end of part one. All right. My dog strolled in. <laughs> I love him. Little boo. But we have reached the end of part one of our discussion of Natasha, comma, Pierre, comma, and the great comet of 1812. Stay tuned for part two. Ooh. If you made it to the end of this, bless you. You know, whether you actually watched it or just skipped around. And you all of our blessings. Yes. In case you don't come back or forget to come back, thank you, Destiny, for joining us and schooling us on Broadway. And, um, yeah, uh, I, I assume this is a very long episode, so bear with us. The next one will be just as long, but, yeah, stay tuned for part two, and thank you for watching. This is me saying I love you. Bewitching, and I love you. I am a man, and I love you. <laughs> oh, shit. I did that wrong. <laughs> you just said Mitchell Matthews. <laughs> I love you. Mitchell Matthews. Okay. Like, okay. Again, the people that love me are leaving my life again. <laughs>